You're listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome into the show. Uh, we are back in town. All right, we've been back for three, three days. Four, yeah, three or four uh, days now. Something like that. Man, I don't feel like I've gotten rest at all. No. <laughs> to be honest yeah, with me you. either. It's just too much stuff that's got to happen. Oh, my gosh. We came back into town, and it was, what, 30-something when we left? down there in, in the lower part of the state. Yeah, yeah. We came up Above here. zero. Yes. Above zero, yes. Yeah. And it was 40. And it is now 40 below zero. <laughs> so 40 about something. Like, yeah. About a 70 degree temperature difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been very cold. Lots yes. to do around the old oh, homestead. Yeah. yeah, I got home. My wife's car wasn't running. My power steering was going out. <laughs> they lost our luggage. It was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yeah. I, I did a, a, an abysmal job of planning my fuel supply for this year so oh, far boy. so i came home and i was like budgeted for you know how my toyo runs at you know zero degrees yeah it, it drains a lot faster when yeah it's, <laughs> so yeah i need to get yeah. some more fuel in mine here pretty soon i still have a fully insulated crawl space so yeah mm-hmm. gotcha. yeah but yeah so yeah it's been it's good to be home though i mean it's cold as it is it's still still a nice place to be so well we'll agree to disagree on that one <laughs> <laughs> i mean i like it hey. here I want to be taken off here soon anyway. So. Yeah, exactly. And of course, yeah. as soon as it warms up again. Yeah. And but. this will air, this show will air the day after Christmas. So. Merry Christmas. Merry yeah. Christmas, everybody. Yeah. Hope you're all fat and happy. And yeah. Yeah. Lots of Our food. day lots after of... Christmas, they'll all be at work going. No, <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully not. Monday's <laughs> the federal holiday this year. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know I have it off, but I don't know if they yeah. have it off. Yeah. But... Sorry to all you I mean, if you're work... don't have it off, but. Yeah, there's, there's going to be I've a lot of people there. that don't have it off. But <laughs> I work for those people. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't know if I have Monday off or not. I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll find out. <laughs> I could be one of those poor guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, folks, I want to take a second to tell you about a product I found this last year and have absolutely fallen in love with. It's the Stealthy Hunter Rifle Cover. I used one on a recent blacktail deer hunt in southeast Alaska, and it did a great job of keeping the salt water and debris out of the action and also protecting the scope on my rifle from getting knocked around and damaged. On top of all that, the carry handle made it easy to transport the rifle to and from the boat during the hunt. When it got wet from rain and ocean spray, I hung it up at camp to dry at night, and it was always dry in 20 minutes or less. Stealthy Hunter also offers a wide variety of nutritional supplements for the outdoorsman, such as CBD oils, essential vitamins, turmeric, and bone broth. In the gear shop, they also have a lightweight first aid kit, glassing pads, and stuff sacks to organize your gear and your pack. Go check out Stealthy Hunter's website and use the code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout to get a discount on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Hey guys, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've likely heard Dalton and I go back and forth about bullet construction, and how I like rapid-expanding, bonded-core bullets that leave massive wound channels. I've also stated I would never use a monolithic bullet. Well, I'm here to tell you about the company that finally changed my mind. Hammer Bullets produces what I would consider the most premium and best-working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are designed so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, the front half of the bullet explodes, shedding its petals and imparting massive damage to the vital areas while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. The 
effectively closing the gap between lead core and monolithic construction. The guys at Hammer designed these bullets with 100% focus on how they perform once they reach their destination. But don't let that fool you, these bullets have amazing VCs and have specialized pressure groups built in for amazing inherent accuracy. They have a minimum velocity rating of 1800 feet per second, which allows for long range shots, but have no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high velocity rounds like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. They've also recently partnered with Weatherby to provide factory ammunition for a multitude of cartridges. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com to buy yours today and drop the hammer on your next adventure. Everybody knows that one of the most important pieces of a hunter's kit is their knife. Whether you're looking for a fleshing blade, a skinning blade, or just a quality, multi-purpose knife for the backcountry, Yukon River Knives has what you need. They offer blades such as the Hunter, Small Game, and the Sendero Bush Knife. Yukon River Knives is based in Texas and has a unique mission goal in that a percentage of all knife sales go to support a missionary in Alaska. Now Dalton, you've experienced with these knives in the field. Talk to us about that. As a matter of fact, I have used a few of their knives and watched my good friend Remy use them for years with great results. They have a micarta handle that doesn't get slippery when it gets wet, and they have phenomenal edge retention for long skinning jobs. Go check out our web link on thenorthernhunter.com and that'll take you directly to Yukon River Knives website to see their full selection and order your knives for your next hunt with the discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout. And remember, nothing replaces a quality hunting knife. So I guess this episode will be kind of a clean up a little bit. We'll go over some things that we yeah, that we all kind of agreed mm-hmm. that we wanted to cover from the last episode from our deer hunt in southeast. We've all yeah. pretty much gotten our meat from the deer hunt and ducks into yep. our freezers and yep. into a good place for storage for the winter as we can nibble on it. But yeah. to start, though, I got back and saw that there was a new article that kind of caught my attention. There was a dead brown bear cub found on Kodiak that was apparently killed from the avian influenza. Ooh, bird flu. Yeah. So this is on KTOO's website, and this is from the Alaska Beacon. Love those guys. Yeah, we seem to find a lot of interesting (laughs) content from these guys. (laughs) A lot of Alaska-relevant news for outdoorsmen. Anyway, so the article says, A dead brown bear cub was found on Kodiak Island is, is one of the latest signs that the current strain of highly pathogenic avian influenza behind the deaths of tens of millions of birds is continuing to circulate in wild populations, infecting a variety of species. The cub carcass, discovered on November 26th by a local deer hunter, was the world's first documented death of a brown bear from the current strain of the flu. Hmm. And that was reported by the biologist Nate Svoboda of Kodiak. The cub's virus infection confirmed by by a lab in the lower 48 was announced on Wednesday by the department. It was the second such bear death in the United States and the first U.S. bear known to have died from the infection. I'm sorry, the Uh, first known bear to die from the infection was a black bear cub in Glacier Bay National Park. Okay, I was just going to say. And that was in Canada. Yep. So... Expect, it says, expect to keep finding birds and possibly other mammals infected with this strain of the influenza, warned uh, another, I guess it's a native tribal health member, and I can't even pronounce their name, 
It says, unlike past waves, which passed quickly throughout bird populations before petering out in a matter of months, this strain appears to be extremely persistent. The concern is that maintain, is it's maintaining itself in the wild mm-hmm. bird populations, said the webinar. That means the state and federal agencies and their partners will have to keep monitoring outbreaks and bracing for more waves of the infected wild and domestic birds after the migratory species arrive next spring. So it sounds like this is, yeah. this is something that they're concerned about long term. It says around the world, the virus has damaged several populations of birds, including some rare species. Among the bird populations hard hit by the avian influenza are the cranes in Israel where thousands were found dead in about a year ago, and more recently, pelicans and other seabirds in Peru. So it doesn't sound like Alaska is getting hit very hard just yet, but it says several mammals of differing species have also succumbed to the virus. In the U.S., the list includes red foxes, with some in Alaska and the low 48, land animals like skunks and raccoons, and then some marine mammals have also died from the disease, notably harbor seals in Maine. So it says the brown bear cub was found only two or three days past, and there were no signs of damage to the body. He said, however, it was emaciated, so basically it was skinny and malnutritioned, which is unusual for a bear in the fall, which we are all familiar with. Was it like a young, young cub or like a two-year-old? Yeah, it says... Real young. Right, right. It doesn't Mm -hmm. say exactly how old they think it was. At least I don't don't see anything about that. But they... And so transmission to, to man is not a like, not a new concept. Though. Yeah, so okay. the last paragraph, it says, since the disease em- emerged in Alaska's birds last spring, about 800 samples from dead animals suspected to have infections have been processed, and there were nearly 100 cases confirmed by okay. labs in the lower 48 to be positive. The vast majority were from birds, though there were some mammal cases. Hmm. So... Yeah, that's it, kind of an interesting thing. I, I don't think that we're going to necessarily see any long-reaching effects up into the interior. At least I Not don't yet, think least. so. Right. I know in the lower 48, they've been having a heck of a time down there. I've heard a lot about it. This yeah, it sounds uh, like it's really, yeah, like really affecting a lot, of the, a lot of the migratory waterfowl hunting. Yeah. yeah. And, I, I, you know, now that I think about it, I was scrolling through Instagram the other night, and there was a video of a goose in a field that was doing something weird, just kind of chasing its tail and not flying away. And this hunter just basically walked right up to it and took this little little short video of it. And then they, they said that's one of the, apparently that had something to do with the, with the bird flu, basically. Hmm. So. It was kind of like, like CWD. Yeah, like yeah, kind of like them... brain dead and yeah. kind of a zombie goose, which is. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, that's sad to see. You know, you know, they're just predator bait, and then the coyote or fox or whatever eats it is possibly then going to get it. Right. right. Well, it sounds like it's mostly predators. Yeah. Have they had any issues of uh, transmission to, to humans, to hunters, no. or anything like that? They said that they that they want hunters to be careful. Yeah. But they haven't had any confirmed okay. cases, at, at least okay. from that article that I saw. Yeah. I mean, it'll probably happen one day. But yeah, I'm sure. Just yeah. like they were talking about deer getting COVID, and you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure there's always a chance, right. but I don't know <laughs> yeah, if it's right. actually going to happen. So I did read, and I mean, I, I looked up real quick as you were talking about that the for cooking. You know, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. I mean, the Alaska game regulations specifically state that you should be careful handling migratory waterfowl 
um, after mm, you just, killed it. Just you, while you're cleaning it. When you're cleaning it yeah. and to cook it. I think they said to cook it. Which like, we did not. I mean, yeah, we yeah. didn't really have rubber gloves or anything, and we all turned out okay. Um, so well. far. We're only four days past the end of the hunt. So. True. <laughs> There's time. But we did cook the meat. Well, be you know, well up to the temperature, which is oh, the, I'm sure the listed temperature by the whatever CDC and I think even state uh-huh. uh, regulation uh, fishing game mm-hmm. uh, was 160 to 165. Different numbers I've seen seems pretty high. I mean, that's the yeah. same listed number for I've seen for trichinosis uh, and yeah. other things like that. Uh, I know Meat Eater's done some stuff about this, and they say 140. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. You know, I I'm I'm the last person to overcook any piece of I know red that. meat. Right, yeah. And so I, I have done a decent amount of homework into that, and so I've seen varying opinions on it. I've heard that sustained 120 yep. is the equivalent of a shortened 160 to 175 mm-hmm. cooking. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like you can see on a lot of those pages online, you know, what's the difference between a pan sear and like a, using a sous vide, mm-hmm. you know, because a sous vide will get yeah. it that temperature all the way through yeah you know? yeah so exactly like, now you know it, it takes longer for it but it's a lower yeah. temperature so it eventually kills everything but yeah yeah so I, I i don't know i we were cooking all of our all of our duck table fare down there at camp in a cast iron skillet yep and i and was we cooked everything I, else in the cast iron yeah skillet too. so <laughs> literally everything yeah that was <laughs> our great. that was our one one kitchen item to do it all which is my favorite, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Outside of a grill, but I did, I didn't really want a grill in the rain in 25 degrees. There really wasn't any good grill in weather down there. I, I wasn't super motivated to do that. <laughs> anyway, but you know, cooking that duck, I you know, it probably took 15 minutes or so, and yeah. it was and it was always on high heat mm-hmm. because that's how I was that's how I got kind of that crispy outer texture yeah. to it. So I I can't imagine that the center of that well, meat was ever under 130 or 140 by the time I was done. And the other thing too is kind of the the method we were cleaning the, those ducks. I mean, we breasted out every single one into mm-hmm. real basically real thin fillets, so it yeah. wasn't like it was a you know two inch steak right, or something right, like that. Right. You know, it was, yeah. it was a very thin internal piece of metal. temp comes pretty quick. Yeah, and, I yeah. Mean, so I mean, th- I don't remember any of it feeling you know oh no, rare no, no. or anything no. like that or looking. I mean, rare, if you're so. eating predators. I think there's other things you should probably cook it to 140 or 164 as black well. Black bears, yeah. I'm definitely oh, black more bear well for done. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, if you're going to sure. eat, I mean, they said, well, red fox was on that list, and I assume there's probably, even if Oof. they haven't found it, coyotes. I'm not going to eat a red fox to find I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not either, but so, I mean, well, you and I have both had lynx, yeah. which is mm-hmm. great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it might be wise to keep yeah. cooked lynx at least up to 140. Yeah. I, I have heard, and I want to try this someday. Maybe I'll get fortunate enough to try it this way. I've heard coyote backstrap makes amazing jerky. Okay. I'm, I, I want to well, try I'm it. I'm going to take somebody else's <laughs> word on that one. I've heard it's really good. You know, I watched, so. I, I, and I'm sure Mo has seen this too, Ranella and Remy Warren were in, I think it was Mexico, and they were javelina hog hunting or something like mm-hmm. that. And I think it was Remy that shot this coyote. And <laughs> they cooked it up, you know, just on a spit over an open flame. <laughs> and 
their faces pretty much told you what you were expecting <laughs> them to taste. It was it was pretty rank looking. But they tried it, you know. I, yeah. I think it might have even made one of their episodes of Pardon My Plate. They might have had Coyote on there. Maybe, yeah. yeah on, on their YouTube yeah. series. But Sounds yeah. like something that would be on there. Yeah, I, I, I'm willing to try a whole lot I of things I think he said once. it was one of the worst things he ever tried. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. But dog? I mean, Coyote is just a dog, man. Uh, I mean, yeah. Coyote and I, Fox. I would... So uh, last, I, I don't know. Last wolf I killed, I was really tempted to slice the slab of meat off of it, and just cook it real yeah. quick with some salt and pepper. Oof. Super simple, mm-hmm. just to yeah. try it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was actually listening to a podcast today where they were talking about I don't remember the guy's name, but apparently his favorite this is explorer or something like that. Apparently his favorite meat was actually wolf. What? Mm. Yeah, which kind of surprised <laughs> me. So <laughs> I, I want to. I, I, try that, to make that happen. Was this guy that he didn't shoot very many deer, did he? <laughs> no, he um most of his time was spent living in the Arctic, like uh, oh oh oh, okay. writing about like the Eskimos and stuff like that. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Well, I, I and he liked wolf over caribou and seal apparently. So is it wolf or wolf? Wolf. Sorry, okay. sorry, people. All right, yeah, I've gotten a couple comments about that. A wolf. It's a wolf. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean. I, Anyway, you know, as we as we go predator column this mm-hmm. winter, uh, which I have intentions to do oh, yeah. forthwith over our holiday season, Christmas yep. and New Year's, you know, as we have a couple of evenings off here, uh, I will probably, you know, if I shoot a lynx, I would be more than happy to oh, yeah. eat that. That, oh, was, yeah. that was a great table fare, I, I think. You know, mm-hmm. And lynx is white meat, too. It's, uh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's very good. If you do it, you know, slow cook it in a in an oven or mm-hmm. even grill it at, at a low temp for a while or wrap it in tin foil and put a bunch of stuff in there with it. I think it tastes like a, you know, like a pork roast. It's not hmm. not bad at all. Just don't overdo it and dry it out. Yeah, you know, it, it's dry. It's pretty bad dry. Yeah. Hmm. I yeah. mean, it's not bad. It's just. Yeah, I just, you know, well, and just like dry pork. If you've ever had a dry right. yeah. pork roast, it tastes like yeah. the same thing to me yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, Alrighty. so, yeah. Well, cool. Jump into our main topic. Yeah. So, um, for, you know, our last episode was kind of a, uh, just an Mm on-site review of the hunt so far. Did we, that was pretty close to, was that our last day out there or was that? That was the last day that we didn't make it out there to actually hunt. Right. Okay. We came back to camp because the wind was picking up and it was raining sideways and getting pretty nasty. (laughs) I remember that. Which is kind of a good lead in to our first main topic today mm-hmm. i was listening to that podcast back through just to kind of see if we if we uh, needed to clarify anything and i found a few things that i wanted to clarify Absolutely. one of them was hunting in marginal weather yeah and i don't want folks to get the wrong impression i said several times in that show that i had never had anybody in my hunting parties or myself ever shot a deer mm-hmm. in the seven or eight years of hunting down there mm-hmm. in inclement weather. Yeah. So I should have clarified, it rains all the time in southeast Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that I don't hunt in the rain. I'm saying that in the conditions that we had, it was not just rain. It mm-hmm. was raining sideways in yeah. 30 or 40 mile High an hour wind. or more yeah. wind. And the visibility was terrible. Right. So and we went even, out that morning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We spent a couple hours we tried. in the water. We tried. Yeah. And, the, and you know, just like what I was telling you guys, we woke up that morning and it was fogged in down low. It was hard yeah. to even see the beaches across the bay in the back yeah. passage there. 
and you know the, the wind is howling the water is bad and you know so for example when we're in the interior moose hunting we all know it's just kind of a given if you're moose hunting and it's blowing 50 60 miles an hour yeah everything just beds down yeah, yeah. they just they just hunker down the they're gonna they, find in that weather yeah. is a caribou yeah and they just wait it out <laughs> yeah no yeah. kidding <laughs> yeah but which you, know, you will find right <laughs> But mm, the the majority of animals in a windstorm it mm-hmm. impedes their their primary defense mechanism, smell. which is their smell. Yep. Right. So these deer will go hunker down up in the old growth in the hardwoods, six hundred, seven hundred feet, a thousand feet up on these hillsides, yep. and they'll go mm-hmm. disappear under an old growth stump and just wait the storm out. Yeah. And I've bumped deer that are bedded before. I mean, last year was a good example. My wife and I were up walking a river system. And it was pouring snow that day. We already had over a foot on the ground, and it was coming down heavy that day. And we were walking up up this river system, and I walked around the corner, and right in front of me just exploded out from underneath this big root ball, a deer that was laying mm. 20 mm. feet in front of me. And it yep. waited right to the last second to bust until I walked right up to it. So yep. when it's that bad of weather, they just hunker down and wait it out. Yeah. So anyway, I just and, didn't want folks to get the wrong impression. And the first four days we were out there, yeah, it was pouring down on us. Yeah. It, just, it wasn't yeah. the crazy, but it wind wasn't the and wind the, and it yeah. wasn't the right. low visibility. Yeah, I mean, we so, were still out there, and it wasn't necessarily the super heavy rain. That no, just, no, yeah, kind and, of and constant. so yeah. So the point being, if it's raining, we still hunt, mm-hmm. but it's when you add in the really heavy mm-hmm. wind and yeah. the bad low hanging well, fog and the low visibility on the beaches. That's and, you know, and, when and kind of a, we've a, never seen any deer. Kind of a clarifying point for our listeners, too, is kind of, you can go into a little bit of what you were explaining to us out there on how to strategize with the weather. Because mm-hmm. on those days when you're getting kind of that inclement back and forth, you know, sometimes, you know, the sun will pop out or mm-hmm. the sun will go away. Yep. The clouds roll in, the clouds roll out, the rain is there, the rain's not there. Yeah. You know, you kind of, we're kind of explaining like how to take advantage of that, how to, how to be there, yeah, and how the deer act as soon as the rain right. stops. Right. You know? So, so. A, a a good example again for us and for you guys and mm-hmm. what you've experienced is bear hunting. Mm-hmm. When you're running a bear bait in the springtime and yep. you see that it's going to be pouring rain one night, if you're going to get a bunch of rain, yeah, and you see that it's going to end at ten o'clock, you don't just write off your night. Yeah. Because, again, I've never shot a bear in the rain over a bear bait, mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. And I don't think I ever will. And I don't know anybody that has in my immediate circle. But I've shot probably 90% of my bears over a bear bait, and all my friends that have shot bears with me, yep. either right before a storm or right after mm-hmm. it lets up. Yep. So that principle applies to deer hunting in Southeast or Kodiak or wherever. Um, we've shot plenty of deer you know, if if we've been out during the rain and we haven't seen anything, as long as it's not super windy and, you know, what we just covered, if you put yourself in an area where you know that they're going to be bedding up on a hillside or out in a muskeg somewhere, if you're there when it stops, if you're there when that break happens, mm-hmm. there always seems to be something moving immediately in that break. And so, you know, in 2019... Uh, that was my dad that shot one mm. in in a muskeg. Oh yeah, he was he was set up. I you know he was set up on the side of this muskeg, sneaked his way in there, stood on the edge just inside the tree line overlooking this little. I think it's about 150 yards long, and maybe 80 yards wide. He's just overlooking this muskeg, 
and there's some scattered trees and bush cover out in the middle of it. And it was raining pretty good that day. And he just sat up there and just stood there. And he said, the rain stopped. And this buck just stood up from behind a bush like 60 yards away. Mm-hmm. It had been there the whole time. I'm sure it had heard him walking in there. And it just laid still, just waited it out. Yep. And then as soon as the rain stopped, it got up and kind of shook off and turned and he shot it. And so that's part of what I was telling you guys is even if it's raining, as long as it's not mm-hmm. windy, because the wind will push them way up into the old growth onto the hillsides and they'll just hunker down and they, they right. won't move in the wind. Yeah. But if it's just rain, they'll get up and move in the breaks as long as it's not windy. And uh, so that, that's, that's been a good tactic as well is just, you know, just put yourself in the right place for success. Yep. You know, just because it's raining doesn't mean you don't go out and hunt. Yep. I was, you know, I was sheep hunting a couple of years ago and opening day. It was socked in and pouring rain. And I'd been out there for a couple of days prior to opener. And I, I'd, I'd been looking around, and every day up until then, it had been just socked in. Mm-hmm. And this, this drainage system on this river that I was hunting was socked in. I couldn't see up the passes and up these little drainage cuts and these little feeder creeks any of the days prior to season opener. And so I hadn't been able to get up and see what the visibility was like if it was going to clear yet because and because it was pre-opening day I didn't want to take the chance and go bust something if it did clear up and the clouds lifted and there was a sheep 500 yards away you know so I waited and then opening day it looked the same Mm -hmm. but I thought well now I'm going to go put myself in a position where if it does clear and there is a legal ram standing 500 yards away I'm in an immediate strike position to shoot that thing and that's what happened Yep. I went up and I hiked up to the top of one of these drainages and the weather cleared, the rain stopped, the wind cut out, and there was a ram sitting 500 yards away that I ended up shooting at 90-something yards. Yep. That had I not gotten up out of my tent at 6 o'clock in the morning and walked up this drainage, I never would have seen it. Yeah. Because I would have written it off as, well, it's cloudy up there and I can't see anything. Well, as long as the season's open, go put yourself in the right position and just yep. wait out the weather. Uh, and, th- you know, that's not always applicable, you know. And, and again, if it's the super <laughs> right. high wind that you know you're not going to have any chances. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and for southeast where we were hunting, when it was that bad of a wind, you have to consider water safety as well. Yes. Yeah. So that being said, you know. We, we were I, getting I, tossed around quite a bit. Oh, yeah. It, it, was, it, was, it was pretty windy some of those <laughs> yeah. days. Well, there was the one day, the first day that we motored way over to, to mm. one of my new spots. Yep. We were out in that. <laughs> in that inlet <laughs> and we got back out to the boat from hiking around on one of those musk eggs and i said all right we gotta go it's like, windy. the weather was supposed to die down throughout Yo. the day and get less windy and <laughs> the it was exact opposite. it was picking up like 50 percent more than what it was that <laughs> yeah. morning and i was getting a little bit nervous I, man now it's white capping in this little inlet mm-hmm. we're we're in for a wet ride back to the that was camp a bumpy ride yeah and we I mean, luckily, we were able to get up on step and kind of just bounce our way over it for the mm-hmm. most part. And, you know, on the way out of there, we were able to kind of cut diagonally down with the waves. Yep. And tide right. was going out, so we had the tide in our, in our favor there. But, yeah, it's, it, can be, it can be a challenge. But anyway, so yeah. I, I think who said it best was, I, I believe it was Chuck Adams. And he was writing in his archery super slam book about all of his successful hunts with a bow. 
and he was talking, I think it was in reference to his brown bear. And, you know, bad weather, bad weather, bad weather. But every day, just getting up, going out, putting yourself in a position to succeed if it breaks. And he eventually shot this huge brown bear. And, and, you know, somebody, correct me if I'm wrong, if this is where the quote came from, but I believe it was Chuck Adams that said, you just got to get up and do what you know to do every single day and trust the process. Eventually, it's going to pay off. Yeah. And that's what we did in Southeast on the deer hunt. But, yeah. you know, so it reminds me, I know I've got a guy I work with and I won't say his name, but he, uh, <laughs> he goes on this hunt every year where he just takes like a weekend and goes, does this caribou hunt at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. He and brother and another guy that works here went out there and they get out there. And I was talking to, to, to the other guy who went out there and I, he was out of state, he's from out of state have a license or anything but he was helping my coworker's brother and he and he nailed one at like 400 yards because they they're out there for like one day of the season since they head out on the weekend mm-hmm. and i said so so what about you know so-and-so did did he get one he goes no he he didn't get out of bed till like noon yeah well there you go it's like <laughs> you've got one day of the season man yeah and if you're listening to this i doubt he will but if he's listening to this <laughs> sorry you know <laughs> Yeah. You can cuss me out at work tomorrow. I really don't care. But. <laughs> be better. Yeah. You know, and, and that's and that's kind of the thing is just being there and being in that moment. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and he would have got one if he'd got up. Yeah. 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 Just but, get up and do what you know how to do. And, and that's kind of the thing, you know, because, I mean, we didn't see you. Well, you saw two deer yeah. in the first four days, but Mo and Fleeting I didn't see chances. a yeah, dang was, thing yeah. in the first four days. It was oh, yeah. slim. I mean, my, and we uh, still, we're up at six, you know, yep. we're, we're getting ready, we're eating breakfast, we're excited, we're getting in, out there. In the dark. In the dark. In the dark. Yeah. <laughs> Pre, pre-dawn hours, yep. eating breakfast in the dark, fueling up the boat, and yep. preparing and, for the day. I, I told Dalton several times that I, uh, yeah, obviously with, with uh, great, um, can't think of the word, but sarcasm, but I said, dude, I, I don't believe these things exist. <laughs> Haven't yeah. seen one. I think yeah. you're just walking yep. in front of well, me and making marks in the snow. You had hunted that part of the state with me in 2016 and yeah. didn't even see a deer. Yep. And then deer. your first three or four days on this yep. last trip didn't see a deer. And, and, well, and I mean, and it's not that it's not like I stayed in the cabin or anything. No, any of those times no. Yeah. We were hard. all out doing the exact same thing. Right. And, yeah. You know, one thing I like about the way this this turned out, because, and, and I'm pretty sure the, the count we gave in the last episode was correct because we didn't end up making it out to go, to go out again before we left but yeah you know we we ended up coming away from this week of hunting um as a group with six deer yep you know and that's pretty great yeah you know i mean that's six i mean it's deer. not it's not all of us tagged out but that's yeah, you know, that's yeah. still six pretty great deer out of nine total chances and, and, and i like the so, fact that like like you got three of them yeah and this is kind of your spot your you know this hunt is kind of your baby you know yeah. you've got the most experience out of any of down there yeah and then Mo ended up getting two, you know, and <laughs> yeah, it, I was kind of like, you know, like yeah. it was, was kind of cool being, you know, cause you put in an, an entire hunt down there before and didn't see anything. Yeah. And yeah. then I felt extremely fortunate just to, to even just walk away with my one. I mean, yeah. you know, and that's something, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that have gone down there to hunt that didn't yeah. walk away with one, yeah. you know, and spend exactly. a whole week down there and, and leave with tag soup, you know? Well, so, and you know, the, the, the previous week that my wife and my guiding buddy was down there with us for the first week of hunting. Yeah. Remy only shot one. Yeah. <laughs> and he's been yeah. hunting there a lot, a, a lot of years. Yeah. And on the last day of our pickup day, he went out that, <laughs> we all went out that morning. We had until 11 o'clock and I heard the gun go off at like nine uh-huh. down, down the coast. And I was just so happy. <laughs> and we got back to the, we got back to the camp there and he was just ecstatic. Yeah. I finally got one, you know, because at the, 
at the last, yeah, yeah. you know, the bottom of the ninth on the hunt, yep. he finally got one. So, yeah, getting one can be just as rewarding as shooting <laughs> six. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, if anything, you know, I, I learned a ton from this this trip. And, and mm-hmm. that was the honestly the big thing is I loved, you know, getting out there and learning. Yeah. And, um, you know, so we have uh, just so much opportunity down there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just excited to, you know, just try again. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just yeah. all it did is like kind of ignite, yep. you know, this like urge to just, yep. okay, well, I got down there. I had this gear yeah. with this gun mm-hmm. right, right, know, at, right. at this time of year. What can I do better next time to maybe come away with two? Yeah. You know, yep. or, exactly. you know, or more. And thinking about your tactics and you have all year to think about it. <laughs> you know, and you have, <laughs> yeah. you have right. the next three or four months of winter time. To go yeah. back. Oh, and, I came back thinking, all right, now what, what, what should I buy next? And, and then, like, yeah. I realized, like, I don't, I've got a lot of other things I need to spend money on besides more <laughs> gear for yeah. a hunt that's a long ways away. Right, right, exactly. But you know, and that is one thing that's important that I'll, I'll point out to our listeners real quick that I learned on this trip is don't, don't wait till like two months before your trip to start planning your gear. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and I kind of had extenuating circumstances this yeah, year I with mean, my it, stuff, it, but it, stuff happens. Um, you got to go. Which if was you, great. yeah, like when you figure out you're going to be going on a trip like this six months in advance, something like that. Start rebuying. Yeah. Like, and, and this is just for my fellow procrastinators out there. It's, 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 it's not a good thing to do. Well, yeah. I, and, and you know, th- this is a good example for a lot of non-resident guys too. You know, for a lot of these, for a lot of these DIY fly out mm-hmm. or drop off hunts by boat that are coming up to say Kodiak Island or, or something like that to do yep. a deer hunt. You know, these guys are often booked a year or even two or three years in advance. Yeah. So take advantage of that. Buy things. Use them at home in the mm-hmm. lower 48. Right. And, and, and I should clarify what lower 48 means, too. Someone told me that, and they said, you know, these guys in the lower 48 might, even, might not even know what the lower 48 <laughs> is. So <laughs> for our listeners, when we say lower 48, we are referring to being superior in the state chain <laughs> and calling the contiguous 48 states of the mainland U.S. is the lower 48. Because you're further so, south. So yeah. there's Alaska and Hawaii, which are, you know, separated from mainland U.S. Those are the US. greater two. The greater two. <laughs> I, I would put Hawaii not even top 10. Yeah, but, but you know. But anyway. I do want to go deer hunting in Hawaii. Yeah, me too. But, I want to uh, go some goats in me Hawaii. Too. But there aren't mm-hmm. any bears in Hawaii. You want to hunt That's in Hawaii? True. But there are boar. Vancouver bull. Yeah. yeah. You can hunt boar. Right there. Yeah. So, well, yeah. yeah you, but, you think about it. We go over there, we, we snipe some deer, and then we spear some boar. That's, yeah. a, that's a pretty full trip. Hey, yeah. if we can get some, uh, like, you know, some of that uh, spear fishing into. So if anybody in Hawaii is listening, hit us up. We yeah. obviously yep. we obviously want to spend our fifty below winter in Hawaii. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, but that's just for clarification's sake. When we say lower forty eight, we mean the southern mm-hmm. half of the US. <laughs> no, not, not even that. <laughs> Two thirds. No. Any state below Canada that's not an island. There. Yeah. There you go. There we right. go. Yeah, we'll say that. What about Rhode Island. Anyway. But yeah, so that you know, for <laughs> folks that are for folks that are coming up as a non-resident hunt, they have often a lot more lead time yeah. than even six months. So yep. take advantage of that. Go buy some stuff. Use it on your Western yep. hunts. Yep. Figure it out. You know, figure, your, uh, figure out your rain gear solution. Yeah. Figure out, your, are you going to use down versus synthetic? And we've already kind of covered that in previous episodes, in yep. episode three and four, I believe, on this hunt for gear preparation. Yep. But, you know, figure out what you want to use well ahead of time so that you don't show up with something that fails yeah. in the first two days of hunting. 
Well, and, and, you know, not even just what you're going to bring, but how you're going to bring it too. Yeah. Because one yeah. thing that was different for me about a hunt like this is I've, you know, I think I mentioned it in the last episode, I've spent most of my adult life in the interior of Alaska, mm-hmm. hunting in the interior of Alaska. And so going down the Southeast was a whole new experience mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a rainforest. You know, yeah. I'm not used to rainforest. Right. So I'm hunting out of a dry bag. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my pack board yep. with a dry bag on the back of it. And that's a very different setup for me. So not just what do I bring, but how do I layer that, yeah. you know, to where I have what I need easily accessible. Right. Yeah. And, you know, maybe my survival gears on the bottom, has, mm-hmm. you know, just a, you know, fit hits the shan kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's, you, you got to pre-plan a lot of that stuff out. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, that, that's really important for people to, to think about that ahead of time. I mean, as far ahead of time as you can, because mm-hmm. it's, it's really frustrating when you're out there and yeah. you're having to dig to the very, very bottom of the pack <laughs> to yeah. grab something that yeah. you didn't think you yeah. need. Well, and, and, and there, are, there are aspects to that that I was going to touch on, on on this list too. Your daily loadout, you know, mm-hmm. the thing, yeah. figure out what you're going to do. You know, I, okay, if you're doing a boat-based hunt, if you're doing like a charter, uh, let's just say that you're doing a boat charter, just for mm-hmm. sake of example. You're going to be dropped off on the beach mm-hmm. in the morning to deer hunt, and you're going to go walk about, and you're going to go shoot some deer or whatever, and you and your partner, or you by yourself, right? And you're going to get picked up on that beach in the evening, yeah, pre-sunset, and yeah. then get taken back out to the main boat where you'll have dinner and, you know, a heated uh, bunk to sleep in for the night, and then you do it again the next day. Yeah. So in that situation... You're more flexible with, uh, with with having the ability to dry out a yes. lot of your stuff yeah. every single day. If you're doing a do-it-yourself package where you fly into a, you know, one of these islands in southeast, mm-hmm. and you just bring all your own camp, and then you have a boat charter go and drop you off, and you set up, say, a wall tent or even like a big Cabela six-man, yep. and you just stay out of a tent for a week and a half. Then you're looking at a whole different set of problems because don't depend on being able to start a fire in the rainforest to dry your <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah. It can be done, but it's not going to last when the next day comes and you get three inches of rain. Yeah, right. It just ain't going to happen. Yeah. And so, okay, now do I bring a do I bring a wall tent with a with a buddy heater, or mm-hmm. do I bring a TP tent with a wood stove? Can I have dry wood access out there? You know, is there firewood, or do I just go with a six man dome tent because that's lighter and easier to fly? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so you have a lot of different options depending on the style of hunt that you're going on. So that's something else to consider. If you're going on a boat-based hunt and you can drive everything out, or if you're staying at a, at, at a cabin, or if you're staying in town somewhere and just hunting out of a town, yep. you have a lot of flexibility yep. on what you can get away with. In that instance, I would bring most likely a down jacket as my insulator for my backup piece in my pack mm-hmm. because I'm not expecting to be out more than 12 hours at a time right. at the most. Yep. And in the fall time in Alaska, it's, you know, it's light at, at the earliest, it's, it's light at 5 or 6 a.m. in the early fall. Yeah. Right. And then it's dark again by 8 or 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So at the very most, you've got a 12-hour window, and usually not that. If you're going around the rut in November or even early December like we did, you've got light from 7.30 to 3.45. Yeah. So it's pretty short. So yeah. if you have the ability to dry stuff out, you can be a lot more flexible with your gear choice with down and synthetic and things like that and rubber rain gear versus breathable right. rain gear. If you're going right. to wet, if you think you're going to wet your breathable rain gear out, mm-hmm. but you're going to be back in four hours to your camp and you can dry it out with a heat source, 
you might be able to get away with it. Yep. Not that I recommend that. Yes. It's, it's miserable. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a- anyway. So that's Which, different options to consider. And then pack. Yeah. You know, you chose a pack board mm-hmm. style, uh, yep. external pack frame with a roll-top dry bag yep. that you just carried in conjunction with one another, which I have There's used. There's probably some pictures of me with that set up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got yeah if you look on our it. Instagrams, you'll see some mm. photos of that. I think it's up sitting in the bow of the boat yeah. in one of the photos as well. But yep. that's how I used to hunt down there in Southeast. Yep. It was just yep. just a pack frame and, and a roll-top dry bag. Yep. And then in that dry bag was game bags, a knife, emergency survival stuff, you know, mm-hmm. first aid kit. And then an extra jacket and uh, maybe a dry pair of socks or an extra pair of gloves. And yep. then a, like a beanie. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one thing, I always left a little bit of room on top in case I did need to drop a layer. Yeah. I always had somewhere dry to yep. put that. Right. Yep. Exactly. That way I could always put it back on later. Exactly. There was not, there was a, it was a rare occasion down there that my right. pack was dry. <laughs> so right. I could just hang, hang something over the And pack, then if but... you shoot something that you have to use your pack to get out, if you've yep. got to quarter it up up in the woods. Yep. You can just quarter it out and put the game bags on your pack frame yep. and then put the dry bag over top of that and then exactly. cinch it all down right. together. Yep. I decided to go with a little bit lighter weight route mm-hmm. and I have to choose a different style of keeping my gear dry. I used a Stone Glacier 7900 Sky Guide pack that I've had for quite a number of years. And that's a really nice, much smaller, trimmed down option, a lot less bulky. It's narrower, mm-hmm. on, my, narrower on my back and it mm-hmm. doesn't stick up as far as a pack frame does. It's got a load shelf on it for a for a meat bag, so that if in case I do have to quarter something up and pack it, I can, yeah. and not put it in the main bag with all my gear. Right, right. But then you run into the problem of, well, now you're running a bag that's not waterproof. Yeah. A rain cover is eventually you, you're going to get rain in your pack, even if you use a rain cover. Is yeah. if your ba- if yeah. your bag isn't waterproof, it's eventually going to get wet. Yeah. It's going to get snagged on tree limbs, and it's going to move, and the wind is going to shift it, and you're going to move it while you're walking. Water is going to pool up on the top of it, and then it's going to drip over the edge and either down the back of your hood mm-hmm. or into your pack. And it's just inevitable. So the solution that I go with is using little uh, ripstop nylon yep. stuff sack dry bags. Sea yep. to Summit makes a bunch of them. I'm sure a bunch of other companies Coleman do as well. makes a bunch of them, and they, they work fine yeah. for me. I think that's and, what I would and, use. And so I've got like a two-liter one with a clear plastic front mm-hmm. that's my never-leave-without-it dry bag that's got a knife. Two headlamps, reflective tape, my tags, you know, just uh, uh, tenacious tape for gear repair, mm-hmm. you know, just essential items. And so that, that one stays in the lid of my pack usually. And then I've got another, probably a four liter dry sack that I put my extra puffy coat in. Mm-hmm. Extra puffy coat, a net gator, and a beanie mm-hmm. that never leaves my pack. And then game bags and a first aid kit. But that way, no matter. You know, no matter how wet the pack itself gets, what's inside that needs to stay waterproof stays waterproof. Right. Yeah. And pro tip: put your toilet paper in a dry bag too. <laughs> I've done that before, and or I guess I should say I haven't done that before. And then, yep. yeah, you yeah. end up you end up robbing a tree of its <laughs> pro, moss. Pro tip: pro tip: make sure that roll of toilet paper you have in your bag has enough on it. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> and isn't the leftovers. There you go. Pro tip: learned that I, this trip. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like to treat it like a... We like, don't have like to elaborate on that no, story. No, no, I won't go but... any further. There was, there was more to it. But... I, I like to treat it kind of like I treat the, the roll of 550 cord I have in my pack. Because yeah. if I use some of it, you replace all that it. comes out and I put a new one in. Right. So, yep. Right. Yep. Exactly. I, I don't want a partial thing of 550 cord in my pack. I don't want a partial <laughs> thing of TP in my pack. Exactly. So, <laughs> so but, let's talk about more gear. 
we went with different options of footwear this year. We did. So yeah. in years past, I used to only able, I, I, I used to only hunt in knee boots. Right. And at first it was mucks. For the first, boy, probably four years I hunted with mucks really? boots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until I became enlightened. And then <laughs> I bought Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro 2s, 800 milligram thinsulate rubber boots. Yeah. They have a rubber upper, not just a rubber foot like the mucks do, right? So yep. that neoprene upper on the mucks kept tearing on me. And I, 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 I would end up buying a new pair of mucks every six months, it felt like, if I used them for hunting. Right. That, that's so, what mine ripped, too. So I bought the lacrosse boots that have a much, they still have a boot sole, but they're not as flimsy as like an all rubber extra tough that has horrible mm-hmm. tread, in my opinion. Right. So the lacrosse worked really well for me for a long time. And then. You know, you're going to get some hate for that. Oh, yeah. Why? He will. Oh, for extra toughs? Yeah. That's Alaska's boot, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, okay, okay. So for spring bear hunting, I usually wear an uninsulated extra tough if I'm mm-hmm. not in waders. Yeah. Because that's just when it's hot out and I just need a rubber boot. I'm not I'm not in freezing temperatures and I'm not mm-hmm. crawling up a mountain in the in the icy slopes. So extra toughs work fine as a beach boot mm-hmm. on the hot days for spring bear hunting. Yep. No problem. Uh, and, and, and for a deck shoe, you know, if you're on a fishing crew, more power to you. And, and they do stick really well to a to a boat deck. Mm-hmm. But what they're designed for is grip on on boat right. decks. But anyway. I mean, I've known guys that roof in extra tufts. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. They work, but no ankle support, though. No. So, the, so the lacrosse boot has ankle support, a full-on boot sole, a cinch top to the, to the top Hi. cuff of the boot. Mm-hmm. Wore it. So it doesn't clump clump against your calf as you take a step. Super warm, super oh, yeah. durable. I wore a pair of those lacrosse Alpha Burley Pros and you, this year. Yeah. Absolutely loved them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was I used to always wear mucks because that's what I had and yeah. um they're far more comfortable. Yeah. Mucks don't have a cinch top. I hate that walking around in boots and they're yep. thump, thump, thump. Yep. Just hate it. I accidentally wore my lacrosse boots to work yesterday. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> I had them on in the morning. I tossed them on they were there. I threw them on real quick to like start my truck. Mm-hmm. Then I never took them off. Uh, and I came into work and was like, oh, great. And then I was working like up in the ceiling and my feet sweated all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Come on and put them on a boot dryer. <laughs> yeah. they, but but still, like if I had worn my bucks to work, it would have been horrible. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I mean, that's. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what I had worn. And then this year I bought a pair of Sims pant waders. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I bought the, the Sims pants that use Torre fabric. Mm-hmm. I think they're called the Freestone pants. Sims only makes two lines of pant waders for men right now. It's the Freestone and the G3 Guide. The Freestone is made with Torre fabric, which Torre is the fabric manufacturer for Kuyu. And then the G3 Guides are made with Gore-Tex. Now, they're both a four-layer breathable laminate. Mm-hmm. Both 100% waterproof, mm-hmm. but the Freestones have a few different features that the Gore-Tex don't and vice versa. Uh, my buddy Remy had the Gore-Tex ones, and I had the Torre ones, and they both worked fantastic. Yep. Uh, Remy bought the Freestone boots, I believe, which are kind of a leather blend boot, mm-hmm. and I bought the G4 Pro Guide, which are a synthetic blend boot. Both held up great. The one downfall is insulation, or the lack thereof. <laughs> yeah. It was cold. And on Fair. our... On our really cold days of hunting and running around in that boat, if you weren't up and moving every couple hours, you know, walking about on the trails and hillsides, my mm-hmm. feet just froze. Right. And yep. Remy had the same problem. Well, and I was in uh, a pair of Sims waders as well, but I had 
instead of the pants, I had the chest waders. Okay. Um, and so same thing, but mine was the uh, tributary. Mm-hmm. The the tributary chest waders. You know, they did really good, except for I was very cold. Now, the one thing I will say is my choice of boot was to go with those tributary waders. Okay. And that one is mostly neoprene. Mm. Um, so again, when we were in the boat or something like that, yeah. you know, or, you know, yeah. just sitting on a beach for a long extended period of time, mm-hmm. my feet did get very cold. Yeah. But one thing I did notice is the second I'd start moving around, yeah. start walking, yeah. go hiking up anywhere, they warmed up fairly quickly for, mm-hmm. for what they were. Yeah. But, yeah. but, yeah. and you know, that, that's, that is the downside of those sock fit neoprene mm. footed waders. They are cold. When yeah. you're in that 25-degree water, wading around in the streams, mm-hmm. it just gets really, really cold. Yeah. And so... <laughs> and I had the, the sweatpants underneath them. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. The thermal leggings, sweatpants. Yeah. And, 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 you know, my legs don't really get that cold. Mm-hmm. And I, I wore Kuyu Pro Merino 200 zip-off long john bottoms every day. Yep. And then a pair of cinch cuff sweatpants that are made to fit in, fit under waders so you mm-hmm. don't have any extra bulk around the belt that kept my legs plenty warm enough yeah it was just my feet that froze yep so definitely you know the knee boot route you know mo was in his lacrosse knee boots all week and i had mine sitting in the camp and i right. just didn't wear them because I, I wanted waders for running the skiff yeah. yep which are extremely beneficial when you need the waders but when you don't need them you really wish you had <laughs> knee boots on i must say like i've never hiked in a pair of knee boots where I looked down and was like, can't believe I'm wearing knee boots right now. I feel like I'm wearing hiking boots and I just climbed mm-hmm. about yeah. feet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, and, and so, and then I'm hiking wrong. through snow. I was hiking through six inches, put a snow up top there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and my feet never got cold. Never. Yeah. I think, don't those have the, uh, the, the ankle fit? Yeah, I think so. Like they grip my, it's not yeah. like walking around in a pair of any yeah. other knee boot I've worn yeah. where it slips around. Yeah. Now, the mucks that I have right now are a little oversized. Just because it was something I picked up for free somewhere, right. whether mm-hmm. good for running around outside the house or whatever. Right. But, right. Um, yeah. I, you know, speaking about the, just one more thing on the lacrosse boots. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was talking to a buddy of his the other day who said he doesn't wear bunny boots anymore. Okay. He wears lacrosse 1600s. Yeah. In the cold. Yeah. So I, I was actually going to hit on that too. My wife has the 1600 lacrosses. Okay. And... During moose season, you know, she'll wear those when she's just sitting and glassing. I mean, I can and, see those overheating they, very quickly. And they get they get real hot as soon as you start yeah. moving in them. And I do know somebody, I guided with somebody this last fall that tried out the 1600s as a snow machining boot. And he said that in extreme cold, like 20 below or colder, they just freeze solid. And then hmm. they get real slippery. So he said that he found them to not be, like the rubber itself got hard. Oh, in extreme cold. I haven't really cold. had a great experience with bunny boots either in that kind of weather. Yeah, I don't like bunny boots. Yeah, yeah. To me, I, I've got the sixty below Baffin boots, and those were. I mean, those great. are those bunny boots. Say, those those them. have an insole and an outsole, and yeah. they, you know you can take right. them apart and dry them out. I don't. That's what that's what I heard. I don't know, like if he's been wearing those for a couple of years or what. I'm sure uh, in temperatures now, down to ten below, they probably work just fine. Here's a question though. So those boots, it was twenty below. Were his feet warm? He said once they froze, they got cold. They got colder. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Pretty sure he said that, yeah. I'd, I'd have to ask him again, but, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he said that once they froze, they just got cold. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It might be worth might be worth asking him again. Yeah. I know but, just not to 
praise on the cross too much. But I did wear those. I used to work for uh, I used to call them a utility company here in town mm-hmm. for a while, and, and walking the the easements, gaffing up a power line and stuff like that. I wore those for four winters straight. I mean, the same pair, mm. and they yeah. they didn't wear down. I mean, they were the a little beat up, but huh? Day hundred? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I mean they they kept the well, especially if you're in and out of a truck and stuff. Yeah, oh, in and out of a truck, yeah. but you know, and constantly moving, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. But but yeah, yeah, I mean they they held up phenomenally. Yeah, so Lacrosse makes the best knee boot on the market. I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and if they want to sponsor us, you know, on our website you can contact us. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Big red button. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> so I think that kind of covers the the waiters and boot choices. Obviously, yeah. that kind of goes without saying. There are better options for whatever style of hunting you're going on. If you're using a boat and you're going to be in and out of the water a lot, then waders are a great option. You might consider built-in boots that are insulated. Mm -hmm. Sitka makes those. Uh, You could go with a lacrosse hip boot wader that have 600 milligram insulation. I use those for spring bear guiding quite a bit. Those work well. You know, I was thinking about... They're uncomfortable to walk in for extended periods of time. That's why I didn't buy them for this. Yeah. I was was looking at them and I wasn't sure how comfortable option. And I'll yeah. look, and I will look into it and be looking at it for before I we we do a hunt like this again. But the, because you'd have the ability to swap quickly, mm. even in the boat if you needed mm-hmm. to. And yep. for the most of what you do, all you need is hip boot. Hip boot's plenty. Yeah. So it is. I mean, the only times because you guys were both waded up, the only times I really wished I had waders was loading stuff in and out mm. of boats or whatever when yeah. I couldn't walk out as far. So I had to hand stuff to people and then barely like you know, reach to jump yeah, into yeah. the boat or whatever. Those okay. are, yeah. what, what I will say is if somebody's going to be going down there with a, you know, either solo or just like a two-man right. crew or something right. like that, there was not a single time launching that boat that hip boots or uh, knee boots would have would have done it for me. And even hip boots, mm-hmm. honestly, would have been cut. I mean, I've launched close. boats in that kind of water with knee boots before. You just got to push really hard and jump really fast. <laughs> yeah, it it works, I, I, but I, I went it's not ideal. Several right. times. It's not ideal. ideal. It does it, work. It, and a lot of it wasn't, you know, like by the camp wasn't too bad. You know, you kind of had a little bit of a right, shelf there. Right. But, you know, like a lot of those beaches where we were uh, correct, we, we were coming correct. up on the deer, you know, and I'm trying to jump out and stop before we hit the It's really rocky, the rocks. deep, quick. You know, yeah. you've got, it goes four foot deep, You're right four about foot that, deep, yeah. four foot deep rock. You know, yeah. and so, <laughs> exactly. like, exactly. you know, having the, the chest waders on really was an advantage there. You're right. Yeah. Um, and yep. so, and, um, and you know, the solution for that, if you don't want to buy waders and bring it up on your hunt, you just want to run with knee boots and a, and a skiff like that, you just have to use an oar yes, or yeah. a pole to stop yourself yeah. Yeah. or to push yourself back out yep. to get started. And that, yeah. that works too. You or know, that, try to aim well with your leg and hope the boat slowed down enough when you hit the rock. <laughs> yeah, that's not ideal, <laughs> especially if it's a rental. Anyway, so so how'd you guys feel about your uh, your glass choices on this trip? Buy binos and whatnot. I was pretty happy with mine. You know, I've, no. I've got like a range finding binoculars yeah. that I've had for a couple of years now. I was they work fantastic. So I went upgrade. You could call it an upgrade. Um, I had for years. I used a pair of Bushnell. Fusion one miles, which are still you can still buy them brand new. They still make them, mm-hmm. um, and they're I mean they're a thousand dollars set of binoculars, but they're an older bino now, and the glass quality in them isn't super great, and yeah. they're heavy. And I was gonna do some uh, bow hunting this last fall, and I didn't want and, and those things don't have a very good close range mm. range ability on yep. them. Yep. 
So I wanted that ability in a pinch to be able to double check a range. Yeah. You know, on a moose or whatever. Yep. So I bought a set of range. I bought a rangefinder, and then later on the year, I bought a pair of um. Two hundred. They were on sale. I think they're normally around two sixty or two seventy. Um. Loophole BX twos. Mm-hmm. Um, the Alpines with uh, and I I usually go a ten by forty two. This time I went a ten by fifty two because the price wasn't that much different, and they were still lighter than the are, binos I had before. Are they fifty two or fifty? They're fifty two. Yeah. It's ten by fifty two and. The reason I picked those specifically is in, in the store. You know, they've got the little bino chart up there mm-hmm. with the 1042s. I could see everything on the chart, but the smallest line was just slightly blurry. Mm-hmm. With the 52s, clear as day. Hmm. And obviously, it's not a perfect situation to test binos. I wish I could take every set of binos in there out in the field that yeah. I was interested in and yeah. test them. At but almost that's, dark. Right, yeah. because that's when, it, that's when it really matters. You can yeah. get a lot of, you know, you can get a $100 pair of, finals from walmart to work okay during the day yeah okay i'm not saying that's what you should go with but <laughs> you can do that you can go with those if that's all you have yeah but as soon as it starts to get dark at all especially in southeast yeah where you have fog and, and overcast all day someday and it's a lot of and, times you're, you're in thick heavy forest yeah yeah now um go ahead the one thing i like about those those loopholes because i have the same ones as you do but i have the 1042s right is um the way that their coatings are is mm-hmm. in those lower light situations, and especially in those situations. Anybody who mm-hmm. lives or is hunted up here knows how annoying the sun gets when it's right on the very edge. Mm. And there were many times I was looking in the direction, and as long as that that sun is not directly in, in your field right. of view, you get almost no glare across the glass. Yeah. Right, um, and and I really appreciated that on the yeah. trip. It used uh-huh. to be that entry level binoculars that are anything under five hundred bucks, mm-hmm. if if the sun was, you know, even remotely, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, a- anywhere near where you were pointing those binoculars, mm-hmm. you weren't going to be able to make out any detail of what you're right. looking at. Right. Well, and I'm, that, I, I had a thousand dollars. That's changed a lot now. I had a six, seven year old pair of thousand dollar binoculars. I think they were twelve hundred new when they came out. They're still thousand dollars today, and I went and bought a set of basically two two fifty two hundred fifty dollar binoculars. Mm-hmm. And the difference was like night and day. And at first I was thinking, well, I'll buy these and maybe this next winter I'll, I'll save up and buy some Leicas or something like mm-hmm. just the Trino Vid 10 by 42 or something just because they're cl- so much clearer. Yeah. But after using those on a hunt, I'm like, I don't, I can yeah. put that money towards something else for a while. I don't have yeah. to have those set of binos. Now the difference I will say, and this has kind of gotten me to the point where I'm going to be investing in a new pair of binoculars as well in this coming year is we told the story in the last episode of, of Mo's deer you mm-hmm. know, sp- spotting that deer from a, right you know pert near a right. thousand yards away and then him and i taking off down the beach and putting a stalk on it um you with your leicas you were able to actually pick out that not only it had antlers and the buck but it was a single antler buck. yeah yeah from a thousand yards away right we didn't yeah. see it and had antlers till like four or five hundred yards right yeah yeah and, and it wasn't that we couldn't see the deer it wasn't that we couldn't make out where it was, where it was going, right. which direction it was standing, mm-hmm. you know, was it broadside, was it facing? We could see all of that, but mm-hmm. just it was the, those finer details, the yeah. littler. Yeah. And that was a huge... Right. Yeah. I was like... So, and I'm not yeah. saying I'm not going to upgrade my binoculars. I'm just saying it changed my priorities. Like, okay, what is my yeah. major upgrade next? Yeah, yeah. So, you know. I, I was going to mention that too. You know, I, when you were talking about wanting to upgrade binoculars this fall, I told you, look, if you're if you're just looking for a temporary solution for a while 
you know, I would just buy those BX2s. And, mm-hmm. and the reason being is I have my, you know, one of my good buddies that I guide with a couple of years ago, he was in the same situation. He was looking to upgrade to, uh, you know, a little bit newer set of binoculars. He had an old cheap pair that he'd had since he was a kid. So he was buying some new gear. And I guess this was probably four or five years ago now that he was doing this, but he went out and bought the BX2 Alpines 10 by 42. And he liked them so much and they just worked and he didn't really need upper echelon glass for what he was wanting to do with them. And he ran them for three or four years and Mm -hmm. no problem. He he guided his first year guiding with those binoculars, you know, guided brown bear hunts with them, you know, and the clients are showing up with two three thousand dollar sets of binoculars <laughs> and my buddy was out glassing all of them with his 250 well, dollars he said for knowing what an animal looks like in the field well yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and an experienced eye with right. subpar glass i mean it's just like if if a if a world-class guitar player picks up a hundred dollar guitar and pro mm-hmm. music in fairbanks he's going to make that hundred dollar guitar sound like a whole lot nicer guitar than a hundred bucks because right. he knows what to do with it but right. the weekend warrior yeah rock yeah. player is going to pick up uh ten thousand dollar guitar and it's, and it's not going to make a difference to him correct yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so anyway yeah I, you know so my, my buddy ran those bx2s for three or four years i want to say oh, yeah before he went out and bought the same now after i upgraded from the sig zulu sevens a couple of years ago to the leica 10 by 42 range finding binoculars when he looked through mine he mm-hmm. then he saw the difference and it clicked and yeah all right yep you sold me. I'm going to buy them. <laughs> I, I will say those six are a great mid-range option. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what, you know, I gave those to my wife. And, that, you know, those are $700 binos. You know, they're not. You can pick th- them up usually on a sale for 6 or 650 pretty yeah. easily. Yeah, yeah. And, Just and, by and looking Sig, around on the internet. Sig does a good job of making that mid-level uh, quality range of, of optic. You know, whether it's yep. range-finding binos or regular binos or spotting scopes or rifle scopes, they're they're right in that middle range, it seems like, of price yeah. point. And, and those Zulu 7s worked, you know. That, that's, oh, they're great quality. They, they, yeah. they, they were a good binocular for a while. Uh, but, you know, obviously when you step up into that European glass, like a Swarovski and Zeiss, mm-hmm. are pretty much the big three nowadays yep. for top Top end glass. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I personally prefer Leica. I've had the chance to compare a lot between Leica and Swarovski in the field, and to my eye, Leica brings out the color, which helps me distinguish detail a lot better. Yeah, I think Swarovski probably has a tiny bit better edge to edge clarity. Mm-hmm. Like out at the very outer rim of the glass, I could probably pick up a little bit better detail, but that's not as big a deal to me. Mm-hmm as right. light trans uh, um light translation. So mm. to me colors really help me distinguish detail. Yep. So I've been really happy with the light cuz I I I'm in love with them. They're a great binocular. Yeah. So Yeah, I, and it got kind of real quick. It, it kind of got me thinking we, we looking through yours cuz after you said after you were like Oh yeah, I could tell it was a buck, and we we're like I was like, "Wait, what? You know, how in the world could you tell it was a buck?" <laughs> I said, "Let me see your binos later that yeah. day." And we yeah. may have been back at camp, so I'm out looking across the cove and mm-hmm. looking at some rocks and stuff and i look between yours and i'm looking between mine and there's just so many details and so much crisper <laughs> yeah. that picture was yeah between his and mine which got me thinking you know i was really thinking about just going to like like i said the 1042 trino vids which yeah. is like his base right. base model which blew which blow my yeah. you know my, yeah. my my bx2s out of the water mm-hmm. but the difference also in um you know the rangefinder option mm-hmm. i had it for a while for a rifle hunt, I missed it. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think I'm just going to 
<coughs> wow. I don't know what happened there, but <laughs> I think I'm just, blue. yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm just going to wait until I can get a good set of, I mean, SIG has some good rangefinder binos out there they too. They do, yep. And mm-hmm. I mean, and they're, up, they're, they're definitely up there. They're not that expensive. Yeah. No, but they're 12, not. 1200 bucks, I think. Yeah. Depending on uh, what you're looking at, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I'm going to look around and. Like I said, I really like to compare some stuff in the field at some point. But, you yeah. know, and the other thing with range-finding vinyls, though, is I don't want, like, here's our 1,200 yards. Yeah. I yep. really would like something that pushes out a little further than so that. So, Leica just the... revamped that model. Okay. And mm-hmm. now they're 2,000 yards. Okay. That, see, that's about the what model, I look at. Uh, the model above those is 3,200. Because yeah. with those Fusion 1 miles stocking moose and caribou mm-hmm. if you it's really nice to know if that moose is a mile away when you yeah. put your binos on it yeah. you hit the button and it tells you it's a mile away right gives you because when things are wide open i don't care how good you are at estimating distance when things are wide open it gets mm-hmm. a lot harder mm-hmm. and it just gives you that ability to okay. get a better idea of st- no stocking purposes reference. correct yeah no. i mean to me so far because i don't have the ability to range past 1200 yards i've never found the need for it but if I had it, I'm sure I would use it. Once you're so able to do it. At some point when I do yeah. upgrade to the next model up. It's really nice I'm to sure be able to look along it. a hillside and just say, okay, that's yeah. this far, that's this far, that's that far. Yeah. And so if I have to hike there, you know. Sure, right. you can pull out your maps and do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Which, by the way, kind of, oh, unless you had something yeah. else to add. Hey. I was going to segue oh, yeah. that We're into go hunt maps. <laughs> yes. Came yes, in yes. pretty clutch on this last hunt. That was one of my topics to discuss here. Go Hunt has a feature on their mapping app where it has a rangefinder <laughs> tool. Okay, you can. Well, I'm I'm gonna pull it up right now so that as I'm explaining it, I'm gonna make sure that I explain it correctly. So okay. if you open up Go Hunt Maps. I'm mm-hmm. gonna go into my app here. I love that. And you click the you like plus. Too, don't you? Click the plus sign <laughs> on the right hand side of your screen. And you have new map, record track, measure distance, add photo, range finder, and add waypoint. So you click on range finder, okay? And as you zoom out or in, there is a scaled line on your map right? Mm-hmm. that shows you how many yards or miles or whatever you have it set to that line from your location to the end of that line is, and it's synced up with your compass. So this would come in really handy if you shot an animal at say 700 yards Mm -hmm. or 500 yards even and then it walked into the trees after you shot it and you didn't have a visual on it anymore you could then say okay well that animal i just ranged it at let's just say 500 yards Mm -hmm. now i can't see it there's no distinguishing landmark or maybe there is and you just want to have two points of reference which i recommend you can go into your go into your app and then zoom in or out until that scale matches your distance you can also, I believe, I, I thought there was a way that you could type in how far it was. Yes. So when you have that pulled up on the right-hand side of the screen there, you have an X on the top to discard, and then in the middle you have like a little waypoint marker. Mm-hmm. Click that with a plus sign on it, and then you can input how many yards mm-hmm. you want that distance to be. So it'll automatically adjust that down to scale, and then you can select mark location at that distance. Yep. So oh, now right. I did not know was not aware of this feature. Go hunt was going up much in my estimation. <laughs> so so now you can not only say, okay, we shot that moose at mm-hmm. 500 yards. I can't see it anymore. There's a little crooked spruce tree amongst the 5,000 other crooked spruce <laughs> trees that are out in that muskeg or field and tundra flat. Right. 
And so I'm going to make a waypoint mm-hmm. at this distance. I'm going to point it over there, and I'm going to make sure that it's set at the right heading at 500 yards, and it's going to drop a pin right on it. Yep. So that if I get over there and it all looks different, which, by the way, spoiler alert, it always oh, does. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you, yeah. You get over there and you say, oh, I can't remember where this thing was. And then you lose track of where you were standing, and now you don't I mean, know where in the world you're we at. We had that happen on this hunt. Yeah. Yep. And so then you get over there. All you got to do is pull up your maps and, oh, well, I'm 50 yards off one way or the other. Walk over to it. Boom. There's your blood trail and there's your moose land 10 right. yards instead inside of, the trees. Uh, yeah. Instead of looking 500 yards back at your glass and buddy, who you can't hear because of the wind. <laughs> yeah. So he's just like Who's trying to wave you in. Looking through <laughs> no, his binoculars with one hand. way. Yeah. With the other hand, he's pointing. You guys were like, what? 200 yards? No, no, no. No, no. no it wasn't that far off? It was hard to tell from. 60 or so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, point but, being, had we just marked it, mm-hmm. right, done that true. feature, yeah. we would have known right where well, to go in the and, and you know, another important fact feature that I like using that for is um, a very important thing to me when you're, and mostly when you're open, open area hunting like caribou, things mm-hmm. like that when you're up in the, up in the alpine. Is understanding your kill zone. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a rifle and you understand what your ballistic capability is out to certain ranges, you understand how far you're able to shoot you can set up a certain area and mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to see all the features on the map, but you can see a lot on maps. E-scouting. And so yeah. when you can put yourself on a pin and you say, let's just say your effective range is 500 yards. That's mm-hmm. as far as you want to stretch. You can set that to 500 yep. yards yep. and see, okay, that gets me to you this can, boulder over here. You that gets me to draw yourself a radius of effective right. killing distance. Right. And, and, you know, and a lot of times, you know. Um, Without even going there to see it. Yes. Yeah, you know, and and so you can sit there and and you just know that when they cross into this point past mm-hmm. this tree or yeah. you know, and this boulder, that's when I can I can shoot. Yeah, and yeah. and that's important to have, and that's a really yeah. awesome feature that they have. There. Yeah, yeah. I, but I, so for so for guys that you know, let's just say that'd be really applicable for sheep hunting. Mm-hmm. If you're looking yeah. at, a, at at a drainage and you say, all right, well, if I go up this cut. How far of a shot is it once I get exposed to the head of the drainage? Mm-hmm. Is it from me to the head of the drainage? So if I come around the corner and there's a ram locked eyes with me that's legal, yeah. is he going to be too far away to shoot? And if he is, then you need to come in at a different spot or just don't expose yourself. Yep. You know, come in a different route so right. that you come in closer to that spot to where if there is a ram standing there, either one, he's not going to see you or you're in striking distance that you can shoot him mm-hmm. quickly. And so yeah. all that can play into your e-scouting. And, and, that, and Go Hunt has a whole lot more features that we'll talk about down the road that, I, that I'm really impressed with over yep. some of the competition. There's another thing, too. Well, down there. Can I say real quick? Yeah, go just ahead. To, just to clarify on my yep. point from yep. earlier, I don't recommend using this feature to actually dial your rifle. This is not a range this finder. This is not a range finder. No. It is not a replacement no. for a range finder. It is to give you a general idea right. of, a, of a radius right. around mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Um, this is only meant to function not, if you have a pre-existing determined range. Right. It it won't take into factor, you know, your, your cant uh, of angle. Your, yeah. You know, any of that. Yep. Those features that modern rangefinders will. So don't. Right. Don't take what I said as replacing this yeah. <laughs> for your range. This finder, is not a rangefinder. Yeah. It'll just give you a, a general idea of your radius. So yeah. Just to yep. clarify that. So another feature about Go Hunt maps that I appreciated on this last hunt was the maritime map yep. overlay on mm-hmm. the topo maps or topo however you want to pronounce that topographical maps topo so <laughs> on, oh, man. on the big on the big red x's map okay the, the competitor which we've all used for a number of years use it for a long time yeah. 
And I still have, by the way, Same because here. I like having two I, sets of maps I in the field. I have the highest membership on both map apps. That yeah. way, if there's a feature the, I want, it's there. I, yeah, I was marking waypoints on both of them yep. the whole time. Same here. Yeah. So, yeah. so Go Hunt has on topo maps, they have, it, it, it shows tide shelves. Okay. Yeah. It shows the tide flats at low tide and where, mm. wh- what is exposed at low tide. Okay. That is really important for me to see yes. on a hunting map if I'm running a skiff in and out of these little, tiny little channels that are sometimes very dangerously shallow mm. at, at low right. water. And several times we were coming back to camp pretty close to dark, and I would <laughs> throttle down going through those channels so that I could see and my reaction time could be more of a cushion instead of ripping through there at 35 or 40 miles an hour and oh it's shallow cut the motor and then you hit a rock yeah so you have to you have to give yourself uh, you know reduce your speed and and watch the channel and obviously watch your depth and be responsible but i liked being able to look at go hunt maps and predetermine okay when i go around this bend i got to stay to this side of the channel Mm -hmm. or in this channel i got to stay in the middle or stay on the right side and knowing where i generally had to stay in the deep water that was easily visible in the go hunt topo maps yep that was not available in the onyx maps that i had um not in hybrid not in satellite only and definitely not in topo so and and that's not because that's not an added feature with the the higher end stuff right because you said you have the highest i I have the elite and it's not there i mean and that's where we were out there you have the onyx elite and it's not on there correct yeah Yeah. i was out there and, and we're both going through our onyx going i can't believe it's not here i mean i thought sure there was a feature like that in here that We'd never even thought about using before. Yeah. Yeah. But there was nothing that showed those uh, those tide I mean, markers. I even checked it before this podcast again. Like, did I miss something? Like, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe yeah. it. It's not there. And so, big shout out to Go Hunt for putting yeah. that on there. Yeah, that, that's huge. That saved our bacon on a couple of these late night returns. Yeah. Uh, not well, late I, night, but low light returns. Correct. Yeah. Knowing where the channel was ahead of time late made things a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Late night being dark at like four o'clock. So. Yeah. Anyway, so but, yeah, I, I've been extremely happy with Go Hunt. I used mm-hmm. Go Hunt almost exclusively this whole hunt. Yeah. There's still one feature that I'm gonna recontact recontact them about and tell them that I want it fixed. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna go off into it. It's another explanation. But there's one thing that still bugs me that I need to, that I really would like to see yeah. that fixed. And I'm sure they're already working on it. They told me they were a month ago when I got back from fall guiding. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to follow up and let the guys know it. everything else is working great yeah. except for this one thing. So anyway, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to the direction Go Hunt is is going with this mapping software. I I'm excited about it. And, and I think it's the best 3D on the market. Yeah, absolutely. And they're working on offline 3D. I was just going to say that's that's going to be awesome. I like the most. That's going to be awesome. I think Onyx does have offline 3D right now. Mm, they have offline tilt 2D, which really? is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't help you. Yeah. Doesn't. That For some doesn't reason, I thought anybody. they did, but I might be wrong. Oh. Yeah. I and thought I had the to be, to be honest with you, and, and I'm not trying to throw stones or anything like that, but yeah, like right. even Onyx's 3D, I don't like it that much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what the difference is in, in the way that they trans right. You know, right. Translate the the topographical information in, but it just right. it doesn't right. seem as smooth. So I'll say this. Up until Go Hunt came out with their mapping software and their no, it, real three D. It's it's not available offline. Not on it either. Up until Go Hunt came out with this mapping software. If I wanted good hunting three D, 
even after Onyx came out with 3D offline, mm-hmm. I would still go use FatMap and Google Earth on my phone yep. for better 3D. And I had I used FatMap up until up until I had Go Hunt because when I wanted really? good 3D, I would use a different software. And FatMap I think is through Google Earth, and and, and that's yeah, a great software. That's that's a great you know great app, mm-hmm. but it's not made for hunters. It doesn't have all the you built-in know, features uh, that Go Hunt has. They're right. probably and we don't know what it is, and we can maybe check this out for next uh, next season in Southeast, but there probably is an app that shows a lot more detail yes. tied Chelsea for Go Hunt. Apps. Yes. But in, a, I, in the pinch that we were there, yeah. I yeah. mean, just because it's such a huge deal. Since I've returned home, I have downloaded an app that has maritime charts, and I've also bought a I mean, it's probably, paperback. Mm, you right. Know. I mean, they probably show you like specific yeah. heights of things. Yes. And, and, the and drop boulders radius, that are exposed but, at different tides. Yeah. But to have even the just the level Correct. that they have oh, the base integrated yeah. into your existing hunting map absolutely. setup where you are you know, and a lot you're not it, having to jump between 10 different apps a lot right. of it probably right. just has to do with their source maps because yeah. you know yeah. they don't make these maps themselves and right. they don't have their own satellites so. <laughs> right right so anyway yeah. very very impressed very yeah. pleased and i think go hunt has the best software and the best resolution on the market so huge plug for shout go out hunt. yeah good there you job go. <laughs> I think we only have one thing left on our yeah. list before we so, got to wrap it up tonight. Yeah, but, so you guys got some new gear uh, before going yeah, down I think we clothing-wise. I mean, I got a little bit. Tried some guys. new stuff this year, but Mo yeah. and I used the new, for this year, Stone Glacier Cirque Jacket, mm-hmm. which is a synthetic Prima Loft Gold Fill Puffy Jacket. Yep. So tell me how you like that, Mo. Well, this was my first year using pr- premium gear almost at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a lot of stuff that worked great, especially moose hunting and stuff like that. And I would have survived just fine had I gone down there with that stuff. Mm. But I spent some time going up to this hunt, talking to Dalton about his experience with it, doing some research, um, listening to some podcasts, and I picked out some gear I wanted for this trip. And it, it turned out to be exactly, I mean, I had bought all the right pieces for, what, yep. for the trip. Yep. And one of them was the Stone Cirque. Uh, um, I bought that on Dalton's recommendation mm-hmm. because it was warm, not super heavy. Mm-hmm. and it's synthetic yeah. and um i must say i was blown away yeah. by yeah being able to use modern gear that was you know with the advanced <laughs> uh yeah. you know the fact that i can have a lot of gear on yeah i'm perfectly good in the morning and then yeah during the day i was hot and sweating mm-hmm. a lot yeah especially with a lot of the climbing hiking we were doing with with the packs and stuff but at the end of the day if i didn't drop layers if i had sweated a lot most of that moisture wasn't against my skin. By the mm-hmm. time I took my stuff off, it was outside on mm-hmm. the outside of my cirque, which yeah. just, I had never seen anything do that before. Yeah. I mean, I'd worn wicking base layers before that put it into my other cotton layers, yeah. which is better than Yeah, better than on your base. skin. Yeah. yeah, it's better than mm-hmm. cotton t-shirts right. nonsense, but right. Um. anyhow, I was very, very impressed, and especially by the warmth. I wear that yeah. thing as my Sunday, Sunday jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially this time, this time oh, of yeah, year exactly. when it's thirty below zero yeah. on Sunday right. morning for now, church. I'm not saying yeah. it's a thirty below zero jacket. No, it's not. But for jumping in and out of the truck and running between buildings, yeah, it's great. Yeah, exactly. Functional and fancy. I was extremely impressed. You know, I I hadn't seen the Cirque jacket in person uh, until let's see, I yeah, I I I met somebody in town that had one on and I, I got a chance to kind of look at it and asked him how he liked it and he'd used it most of the fall and then I started seeing a bunch of guides posts 
after I got back gotcha. from the fall season, they were all, you know, there was it was showing up in a bunch of photos online. And mm. so I thought, well, there's, you know, a, apparently it works. And so I I can't remember if I contacted Stone directly or not about it and asked him a few questions or if it was just I just went on and read some reviews on it online on some of the forums and it mm-hmm. seemed like it was measuring up there. Uh, they advertise it, I believe, as the warmth equivalent to the Grumman Goose Down hmm. build puffy that they have, which mm-hmm. is extremely lightweight and packable. The Cirque is a synthetic fill insulation, and the major difference there is performance in wet climate. Mm-hmm. The Goose Down, although it is treated you know, to be hydrophobic, uh, it will eventually wet out and clump up and lose its insulation value. Synthetic does not do that. Now, synthetic doesn't usually last quite as long as down does in some situations, but if properly taken care of, you know, you can definitely get a, a, at least a few good years out of it as long as you so. as long as you take care of it and you wash it, you know, every few months if you're using it a lot, you know, keep it cleaned out and keep it lofty. And you can rewash it with a DWR treatment to recoat the face fabric so that it's more water resistant in that aspect. I found it to be plenty durable. The face yeah. fabric was, you know, I didn't have any problems with yeah, it. I didn't rip mine at all. With the, with the fabric kind of picking and, and getting mm-hmm. picked away from the face mm-hmm. fabric. I didn't have any problems with that. Uh, whereas other synthetic jackets I've had in the past, I've had that problem with. With a, with a lightweight face fabric to save on weight and packability, they lose durability, and I did not have that problem with the stone well, jacket at and, all. And, and I will say that what I've noticed, that was one of the biggest things I did notice about the Cirque with you guys yeah. was, you know, looking at it, I mean, it just looks like a lot more. I, don't, I wouldn't quite call it an outer layer, but it's definitely more of a, of a, of a sturdy I, I shell because yeah. I have the Grumman, mm-hmm. yeah. and I would be terrified of wearing yeah. that thing outside yeah. of. You know? yeah. yeah, like as, as an outer. The layer. Grumman is not meant to be worn as as a right as an outer layer if you're going through any kind of vegetation yeah. at all. Yep. And Stone Glacier's representatives would tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. You need to have either a soft shell or a rain shell over it to protect it because yep. that fabric is not it's... designed to to withstand that kind of abuse. Right. Yeah. I have worn the stone cirque. The first week I was there, I wore it on the outside a few times mm-hmm. on the dry days, and I found it to be perfectly adequate. I had no problems with it, with, you know, durability, mm-hmm. no problems with it wearing a pack. Um, you know, I, I had great luck with it. I, I think it's a great design. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that I, I don't really love the fact that the, it, it's kind of, uh, can I use the term tuxedo cut in the back? <laughs> where the back kind of comes down a little bit more over your uh, over your seat. Your mm-hmm. I I don't love that about it. It, it does it, bunch it sticks, up a little bit. That it way. sticks down a little bit too far. Uh, luckily, Do you think they did that for wind, maybe. Yeah, maybe, or just when you're bending over or sitting down, it doesn't yeah. kind of pull up past your belt line. Right. Uh, the functionality I see of it, but the fit underneath a rain jacket or a soft shell, yeah, I, it always that. sticks out a tiny bit below mm. the hem of your soft shell or rain jacket. Now, gotcha. luckily, now on this trip, I used the whole time, if I needed a rain jacket, I used a, a Sitka Stormfront rain jacket, mm-hmm. which is their you know premier bomb-proof yep. uh, Gore-Tex rain jacket, and it worked great. And... The Sitka large storm front fits me like a, like a Kuyu XL does. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more roomy of a cut. And that was great having the Cirque on underneath of it because it 
the, the hem of that stormfront raincoat came down plenty I'm low enough to uh, to cover that beaver tail back of that stone glacier circle. You know jacket. what I talk about that? I'd have to look at. So I had um, I had three brands of major brands of uh, gear, which mm-hmm. was Stone, Sitka, and I had um, first person here to try first light. That's right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had their uh, like what they call it, the uh, Omen Storm Shelter. Yep. And uh, breathable rain jacket. Yep. And I, I think I talked about even purchasing that. And I'd say yeah. What, how I thought. I loved it. I didn't have any issues with it. Very yeah. durable. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of time yeah. mm-hmm. hiking through the. And still relatively lightweight and packable too. Yeah, very, very Extremely much so. lightweight for how tough it seemed to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And yeah. um, and once again, I mean, it's breathability. Yeah. And you know, wearing a pack. Mm-hmm. Was I mean, if if a breathable jacket's gonna fail, that's where it's gonna fail. It's gonna push it through on it's the shoulders. It's gonna push water through yeah. on the yeah. shoulders. And, and I, we had pretty substantial rain a few of those days. Where if it was gonna happen, that was probably right. gonna. And happen I mean, that you day. take the rain jacket yeah. off, and you could tell the face fabric is soaked through, mm-hmm. at especially at those points. And I never had any more moisture than what should have been there from my sweat. It wasn't yeah. like more mm-hmm. in that spot or anything like that. It didn't like permeate the breathable membrane. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's that was a week of use. Uh, you know, in a very more, wet environment. In a very yeah. wet environment, you know, because, because it's not just the the rain, but it's also everything around you is soaking. Right. Every oh. branch you're pushing yeah, up yeah, against it, is soaking wet. Every rock. if you're walking through the woods, yeah, in southeast Alaska, mm-hmm. you're gonna get wet. Everything yeah. is wet. Yep. Yeah, it's not a matter. And if of, it's raining and you overheat and you put your hood down, guess what? You're gonna get rained <laughs> on down the back of your neck and down right. the front of your zipper. Yeah. You're going to end up wet one way or the other. That's one more thing yeah. I like to say about the first light. Wait, what you're saying about the tail, I, I'm not sure if it covered my stone or not. Yeah. I think it did. I think it, it has a little bit of a beaver tail to it as well, which a raincoat should have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and I had a backup Heli Hansen, like what I wear for work. Me too. Yeah. It sat and, back uh, at camp in case I needed it. And it sat in the bottom of my dry bag. I don't think I ever touched it once. Yeah, me too. And now it doesn't have that beaver tail cut. I would right. have been, you know, yeah. I would have had a. That's my water grunt. running down where I wouldn't have wanted it. But. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, my Grunton didn't either. Yeah. No. no. So so yeah, you had the Grunton breathable. Yep. Yeah. Um. The, it, it, okay. Yeah, anyhow, yeah. One other thing I really liked about that is the um, one thing I don't. It's great that it's there, but I think it could be a little better designed. Is the um, vents on the mm. stone stuff? I have the stone cirque and I have the stone soft gel. The de Havilland. The de Havilland, correct. Yeah. And they have pit vents. Mm-hmm. Pit vents are great if all you're wearing is the so- is that jacket, and you aren't carrying a rifle or anything, or you know, it, it, or you have your rifle over your shoulder. It's not that big of a deal. If you're wearing a backpack, if you're carrying a rifle and wearing a vinyl harness, mm-hmm. it, they're hard to manage. They're hard to open and close because those straps from your backpack and your vinyl Correct. harness intersect over those pit vent. Uh, and you the, usually the need. You know, you usually need to hold the one arm up high when you're yep. trying to re-zip them. It's not usually hard yep. to unzip them. It's hard to re-zip them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Totally agreed. The first light uh, omen, and I have, I don't have any of their other gear, um, but the first light omen storm shelter has two frontal vents mm-hmm. um, right in the chest mm-hmm. uh, at a diagonal vents mm-hmm. and uh, that are zippered. And then they also have on the back of the arm. Um, by your triceps, yeah. correct. Both very easy to reach. Mm-hmm. Now with a bino harness and, and and with a bino harness, it was a little bit in the way of my the ones on the front. Yeah. But my uh, backpack, and I'm sure with different packs, strap positions will be different. My backpack was never in the way of those. Nice, hmm. very. Um, nice. And I used those several times, and it was they're a lot easier. I mean, it's still always yeah. a pain to move a zipper. 
when yeah. you're covered in gear. It's just yeah. always going to be a yeah. hassle. But um, that was much nicer, and I think it needs a little bit quicker heat yeah. release mm-hmm. from that position too than under the pit where well, your arm is down and, and you and you get yeah. that flow through there you know if right. you have that vent open on your tricep and then you have a vent open on your chest you know you have two diagonal cuts above your uh above your pecs there correct you get that pass through of mm-hmm. air and that's the where most, you're moving a right. lot well you and know? that's where the most moisture buildup will be on the inside of a breathable or any of your yeah, gear yeah, yep. is going to be up above your shoulder and your outer arm yeah yeah, and so you get all that that kind of breathes out as you're moving. It'll kind of work those vents and kind of mm-hmm. push that air right. out and, and work that venting. And that, that, I think, is a genius idea. I really liked how those vents were. I, I don't know if I'll go out and buy one. I, I think the jury's still out for me. I'd like to see I mean, one got, used season after you've season. You've got a couple other layers. And I, have, yeah. here. And so. I have rain gear from Stone right. and yeah. Sitka and Kuyu. And I'll be honest. all works great. The main so. reason I bought it was... I've looked at some first light stuff before. Mm-hmm. I like what they're doing. They seem to be going a good direction. Yeah, I didn't know anybody who had one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you said like you knew somebody. You had a client mm-hmm. that had one at one time. Mm-hmm. Had some gear that they seemed to like. So I figured, you know what? Yeah. It's got good reviews. I'm gonna yeah. give it a shot. And yeah. uh, I yeah. like it. I'm definitely gonna buy some more first light stuff. Yeah, they've got a hoodie I want to try. Yeah, and uh, you yeah. know, and when I say I've got, they've got a hoodie I want to try. I'm not talking a cotton. Yeah. hoodie that says first light on it i'm talking <laughs> you know i think it's like 160 dollar high quality uh yeah. synthetic hoodie yeah kind right. of a mid-layer type right. hoodie yeah right kind Which of a layering kind of, piece like this one like uh this. similar yeah yeah mm-hmm. now and, and one thing i'll say that i really kind of was an eye-opener for me you guys and your fancy gear on this hunt is <laughs> anybody that knows me you know is hunted with me or you know anything like that i'm kind of I kind of follow that that old school mentality of the guy that has the you know might have the four thousand dollar rifle, but he's got flannels on. <laughs> well, know? I mean, like, you got to be able to afford that rifle. Like, yeah. I, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I I love my guns, I love my my optics, but you know, it's like, um, you know, I, I've always thought, well, Carhartt's good enough for the job site; it's good enough for the hunt, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I just kind of never really saw the point of investing in high dollar quality. Yep. I'm like, Until... you know, I've always, but, and that's the thing is like, we got down there and I had seven layers on at one point in time mm-hmm. and the mobility difference that I yeah. noticed was huge. It and doesn't, I mean, doesn't bunch up. Yeah. And, and none of my stuff was, you know, crazy bad. I mean, I, it was a perfectly comfortable hunt. I stayed dry. You know, I had Grundon uh, gear on and I had their, their new breathable, uh, the Neptune gear. I had Sims waiters. I had, um, you know, just some, some. I have a couple of Sitka, mm-hmm. uh, like the Sitka hoodie I'm wearing today. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, I've never looked into those the the really expensive, uh, right. high quality, yeah, uh, rain gear or anything like that. But looking at the difference between like like with you guys and your you know the you guys had the or you didn't but. Dalton, you had the Sika Aerolite jacket. I did. And yep. then I had the Sika Aerolite vest, you did which vest. was a great okay. mid-layer, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, with the Cirques, and then with everything. And it's like, when I was comparing, like, the weight of my pack with just some extra layers in it, you know, I'd have my Carhartt. And granted, it's a Thinsulate coat in there, but, you know, it's still compared to those other, it's heavy, you yeah. know? Yep. <laughs> and, and that's a huge difference when you're out there all day, because there were several times we'd be sitting in the boat, and I'd have all of those layers on, plus, you know, my 
bino harness plus then a life oh, yeah. jacket. Well, you'd and pull then, your bino harness on just because you had layers on. Yeah, you know, and and I would feel compressed almost. I think I, right. I even told you at one point, I was like, I feel like I can't even breathe right now, you know. And, and so that's, that's pretty much convinced me, you know, I'm well, going to, I got to buy. That's what happened to me. I had a lot of yeah. your, I, you know, I had a lot of mid-range gear mm-hmm. um, or low end of the mid-range gear. You know, I had some Hillock stuff. Um, you know, there's some stuff you can pick up at Walmart depending on the time of the year. They have some base layers that are half way decent. Yep. Um, that's a lot of the kind of stuff I was running before. And yeah, I was the same way. Like I would end up just getting kind of bunched up with gear. Yep. And honestly, compared to what I had used when I got the Killick stuff, it was a huge upgrade over, mm-hmm. you know, whatever random old stuff I had. Probably Amazon specials or something. <laughs> but um you know, then I decided we were in uh, shout out to uh what's it called? Sporties in Anchorage. Mm. Um uh, we were down there, and I said, and I, we were looking at some of the stone stuff, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna buy a stone soft shell. Got to start somewhere. Mm. And I did that. Oh, that that was Barney's. Barney's. That's what I, I yeah, don't know why yeah. I think of it. Sporties. <laughs> I don't know. I always get that. Mixed Sorry, up. Kevin. Yeah. Apologize <laughs> for that. There. Uh, Barney's. Shout out to Barney's. Great uh, local shop if you live in that area of the state. Yeah. Um. Even if you don't drive there. Yeah. Uh. But what I was gonna say was. I'd been hunting with Dalton a few times since he'd started buying some of the nicer gear. Because he kind of, at one point, had was mm-hmm. the same setup as, you know, just whatever half half work stuff and the other stuff was some hunting stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're like me, you have a bags at home of your old hunting gear that you just like kind of randomly pick out of. Well, I think I'll bring these layers. Yep. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter what you bring. It's always right. too bulky. <laughs> and when you're just moose hunting around where you usually moose hunt and just going to the bear bait, you don't it's need as big of a deal. high quality right. stuff necessarily. It does mm-hmm. make it nicer, yeah. but it's not as big of a deal. Yeah, it's not, yeah. not a necessity. Um, anyhow, yeah. I'll cut that down, but what you, uh, you, I saw you wearing some of that gear and I saw how l- light of gear you were wearing and you were comfortable. Yeah. And I was bulked up yeah. and still not really comfortable. Yeah. And, um, you know, yeah. I think you had on the time wearing a few base layers and some, some of the, uh, the stone M5. Like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was when we found that dead caribou. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. you were wearing that, and I was wearing, you know, whatever bulky gear I had, and I saw the difference it made. You know, and at that time, I was still making a lot of money. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of what got me started. I just started buying gear eventually, and at, at we were at Barney's, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna buy that jacket. Yeah. Yep. And I started there. Well, and and you don't have to fund your, you don't have to fund your gear closet all at the same time. Oh no, because yeah. very I mean, few folks can even afford to do that because you know all the stuff that we're time. talking about. It's expensive gear, and um, you know, I, I take a lot of flack from people that you know they see what I wear on hunts and they. You know, they like to poke fun and mm. how much money do you have in your gear, man? Well, how many months a year do you spend in your gear? Because yeah. as a guide, I spent right. five months in my stuff this last year, yep. not including personal hunts. Or yeah, I guess four and a half months guiding and then over five with including personal hunts. Yeah. So yeah, right. if, if you're getting paid to live like a homeless man, you need to have nice gear. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, and you know, and this thing, you're, you're a guide too. Yeah. And you know, that's your job. Yeah. You know, and I am a carpenter. Yeah. I buy high quality expensive tools. I go look. There are tools I own multiples of. I own different brands. I mm-hmm. used to be all DeWalt and I decided, you know what, I'm gonna try some Milwaukee stuff. And guess what? Yeah. The stuff I like about both. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I still well, don't like that's, Makita. That, that's, <laughs> <laughs> nobody likes Ryobi. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I was going to make a point there. You know, on on the note of branding, and I got to be careful how I say this because there is one company in mind that I do my dead level best to buy everything I can that they make mm-hmm. that will apply to my use. They don't, and, and I'm not going to say which company I'm talking about here. I like this company the best for their for their business and from where they came from and their roots. It's a humble beginnings business, and they make really good stuff that's dedicated for ultra lightweight hunting. Mm. And we probably all know which company I'm talking about. Yeah. I do my dead level best to try to support them in every way I can. Yeah. However, there are some voids in their production line that they don't make things that are either durable enough, you know, for long term heavy abuse. Or they don't make enough things in a particular lineup of synthetic offerings. You know, they like to they like to lean towards down ultralight products, which on one or two sheep hunts a year would be ideal. But if you're spending month after month in the field, like yeah. I am as a guide, you need to have the long-term moisture control, right. which is only achieved through synthetics. And, you know, that, that company was recently, they've been coming out with a lot of stuff in the last year or two. and I I know of something that they're I know of some stuff that they're releasing here right after the new year and I'm excited about it mm. and I'm not going to talk about it because you know I, I and and I'm not sponsored by this company but every way I can I like to support them but right. there are some things that say a company like Sitka makes like the rain jacket that I wore this year or that this this last deer hunt that nobody else makes a rain jacket quite that tough mm-hmm. Kuyu makes one but it's not quite up to par with that Sitka one. In my opinion, yeah. the Sitka one just seems tougher. I've had a couple of the Kuyu Yukons, and they're great raincoat. You know, rubber cuff sleeves and, you know, pretty pretty tough garment. But at the end of the day, I just kind of preferred the Sitka one over the Yukon. Mm. Now, right now, the Sitka Stormfront is discontinued. They're kind of revamping it right now. and I, So when they come out with a new one, I'll be curious to see what they changed about it because I love the original Stormfront model. Yeah. It was it was revamped in 2019. I, I don't know what they're fixing about it, but I assume it's going to be bomb-proof because the old one was bomb-proof that I've got. So, and then, you know, there's some things that Kuyu makes that Sitka doesn't, and, you know, I, I, I guess I can say it, you know. If I can buy it from Stone Glacier, I'm going to buy it from Stone Glacier, yeah. you know. I, I, and we're not sponsored by them, but yeah. I, I've I've had the privilege of talking to several of the guys down there. They're always helpful on the phone. Yep. I've never sat on hold for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, half hour, 45 minutes, like right. I have with some of the other companies that I just mentioned. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Kuyu and Sitka make good stuff, but I'm okay with having a blend of things. You know, I, I don't feel like I have to be just a Stone Glacier branded guy. Right. Or just a Kuyu guy or just a Sitka guy. And I don't think really anybody should. Well, because, it, I mean, yeah. unless they're. It, They're paying it, you to be yeah, like, if it's a sponsorship deal and you yeah. just want to support that yeah. company, that's great. great. Good for yeah. you. And I know guys that do that, and that's you know I'm I got nothing against that at all. Um, for your average for hunter. right for right now, I don't have everything. That, not everything I wear is through Stone because mm-hmm. to me, for what I want, their lineup isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. It's close. There are a couple things that when they come out with it it'll be game over and I'll probably be wearing mostly stone stuff yeah. by that point. But until that happens, I'm okay with having kind of a motley selection. You know, the, the Sitka ambient jacket I wore nonstop on this last hunt. 
Right. And I and I I was trying out some of the Sitka base layers too. Usually I like wearing the Stone Glacier uh, Chinook Merino base layer. I, I've actually got it I on was right, now. Say, I think you're wearing it right now. Um, and and then the the Stone Glacier uh, soft shell is usually the soft shell that I that I've worn for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I tried the Sitka Jetstream, the the revamped Jetstream, which is a great soft shell. And then I tried the Ambient Jacket, which is a mid layer, a highly breathable mid layer from Sitka. And then I tried the Aerolite Jacket. So I, I had a lot of Sitka upper layers this this last uh-huh. year hunt that I you know some things I love about them and some things that I didn't quite care for about them. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's okay to have a blend and pick what you want depending on what you're looking for out of that specific garment. If Sitka doesn't make the pair of pants that you want with the right features, go look for it from Stone or from Kuyu and vice versa. Right. You know, go pick and see what specific task you're looking for and yeah. tailor your outfit to what you and re- want. And read the reviews, find out what, how tough they are for and, people. you know, yeah. if you've heard me talk about something on the podcast for our listeners, write us a note on an email yeah. and ask me. And I'll, I'll be happy to answer it on a, on a future episode. I got yeah. no problem answering questions about gear that I've used yeah. because, you know, as, like I said, being a guide, I get the chance to use a whole lot of gear that most people don't have that variety of. Yeah. And I get to see how it actually performs over a sustained period of time. Right. And heavy. Because yeah, even if you're not using it, heavy somebody around daily you use. Is. Yeah. And, and that's exactly it, you know, and that's why Mariah bought that first light rain jacket. I hadn't had it. Mm-hmm. But I had a client that did, and it worked awesome. And so yeah. I came home and told him, I said, man, you got to look at this jacket. You know, because I yeah. knew he was looking at it. And I said, yeah, right. this, is a good, this is a good option from what I can see yeah. and from what I've seen on other clients. So, yeah, I, I've, I've been able to see a lot of different things perform in the field and see what measures up and what doesn't. Yeah. But, it, yeah. I think I was going to say, just based on all that, if you're looking, if you are interested at all in getting into the higher end gear, start with a cert. If you hunt in anything that is at all cold weather. If you're going to be in cold weather and you need an insulation layer, I would yep. recommend the Cirque as the top choice in the market from any company. If you don't have a synthetic base layer or, or, yeah. or a merino base layer, if you don't have something besides a cotton base layer, because that, that's yeah. a must-have. If, if yeah. you don't have that, then mm-hmm. start yeah. with something like the Cirque. That is an incredible piece yeah. of insulation. Yeah. And you'll probably find you'll, you'll like it. Spend enough money on it, you're like, you know, I'm gonna wear this <laughs> Sundays too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think to to your point earlier, I think in uh, I don't know if it'll be our next episode, but I think we're gonna be doing some responses next. We've got some good good yeah. input yeah. from, from yeah. listeners, so thank you guys for everybody that's that's written into us and gone to the contact right. us on the website yeah. there. Thanks for listening to our so. gear ramble episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what this has been. We've enjoyed this, and we hope you yeah. have too. We yeah, we've gone off on a couple. Couple found good some, tangents here. So. Found some helpful information in there somewhere. Yeah, but yeah, so go on there, give us a shout. You know, let us know what you think. Let us know any questions you might have, any you know opinions you might want to share with us, and we'll we'll make sure we get to them. And hopefully, we do them justice. But I think we better kind of wrap up for this one, eh? Yeah, I, I was gonna tease one thing. Ooh, that, a little uh, teaser that we're gonna come out <laughs> with here. I think in our next episode or two, we're gonna announce it formally. But I'll just. Let everybody know we have our first uh, sponsorship deal coming mm-hmm. up here. Uh, you guys will be able to get a discount code with the Northern Hunter through Stealthy Hunter with Ryan Lampers. I know uh, Ryan has been out there in the in the media world for a while now mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. Gritty Channel with Brian Call, making some of the, in my opinion, the best hunting videos on the market. <laughs> and I, I've been a fan of theirs since day one. I, I, I really enjoy the, the content that those guys put out. And uh, anyway, so 
I've gotten the gotten a chance to get to know Ryan pretty well, and uh, he has. We've worked out a a deal where we're going to be an official partner of Stealthy Hunter, and so awesome. Ryan also, you know, he makes rifle covers that I used yeah. on this last yep. hunt. Yep. Uh, I I have some pictures of that on my social on Instagram at the Endless Hunter, and he also makes glassing pads, and then he has a bunch of. Uh, nutrition geared for the outdoorsman mm-hmm. uh you know supplements and things to help with joint recovery which is a common problem in the hunting <laughs> yeah. industry i know i struggle with it and i'm only 25 yeah. years old right? yeah so right. if i'm struggling with it at 25 i know a lot of our listeners that are older than that <laughs> ought to be very interested in it with sore backs and mm-hmm. sore knees mm-hmm. and sore yeah. shoulders and everything like that so go check out their stuff on stealthyhunter.com that's exciting and stuff I, I know they're out of stock on a lot of their things right now just because it's holiday time it, you yeah. know mm-hmm. christmas sales and they were having a big giveaway so they're sold out on a lot of things ryan said but they should yeah. be restocked here shortly they're having supply chain issues like the rest of the world is yeah mm-hmm. but we have some new rifle covers coming in the mail for us to check out i've got one of his older ones and so we have some new ones that should be here tomorrow actually right in on. the mail and so we'll have some photos of those when we get them he'll, he'll be coming on right yeah, I, I think we'll have yeah. him on the show here uh, into the new year a little bit. Okay. So, right yeah, on. we can go over his background of his business. But, yeah, just so you guys yeah. know. And we'll have a little little ad and a discount code once we get that all ironed out through Stealthy Hunter and Stealthy yeah. Nutrition. So, so, so at the, at the moment, that. that's, not, that's not live. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. not quite live. Yep. And, and when it is, I think we'll actually be able to go back and cut in a commercial into each one oh, yeah. of the episodes yeah, that, that has the discount code and the information. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's supposed to be easy. We'll see when it comes time to do it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I yep. say it's easy, yeah. It's his, yeah. His, yeah. his job. So. Not my <laughs> it's supposed to be easy with the setup we've got going. So. Yeah. But anyway. You know, one uh, other thing I've seen on their website that I really like um, the look of and I, I want to get is they have a lightweight medical bag. That's right. Yeah, the backcountry. Mm, and that's yeah. something new yeah. that in the last couple of months I think they've yeah. come out with. And yeah. uh, it's like 14 ounces. Yeah. And it's very, very yeah. good. It has a whole lot of essential things for bad right. injuries in the backcountry. Right. Yeah. Which is a huge thing. I think you and I were talking about yep. that out there. Yep. You know I mean? Because I had to build my own mm-hmm. to go out there. Yeah. Because I was looking at all these different medical kits and even the, the quote unquote trauma kits that mm. you can get from any of these outdoor stores. No tourniquet, you, you get stuff like that. Band-aids yeah. and little alcohol wipes yeah. and little, you know, little... Neosporin pads yeah, or something a little, like a that. little instructional thing on how to kiss your boo-boos. It's like, no, mm-hmm. like, I don't need that. Like, if I get a spider bite, I'm not worried about that in the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, I am, but I mean, not to the extent that I am a broken bone. Yeah. Or, you know, right. mm-hmm. if I need, you know, an ace bandage, if I need a tourniquet, if quick I need clot. quick clot, if I need, you know, uh, what do they call those, a SAM splint, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's a question. That kit you put together, how much did it weigh? Oh, a lot more than a lot 14 more than 14 ounces. ounces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I got all my yeah. stuff from the Millsurf store. Too, so. <laughs> but, I saw I saw your kit there, like the way yeah. you had it strapped together, and it looked like it weighed a few pounds. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't say pounds, but it was it was a lot. But anyway, but, so, but yeah, so yeah, I'm excited to check that out for yeah. him as well. That, We're that's excited to announce that. Exciting we'll, for me. Yeah, we'll have him on the show, and we'll talk about all those things at some point. That's awesome. Soon. So. So. Well, right on, guys. We've had a lot of fun uh, planning and executing this hunt and getting to tell you guys all about it. So. Uh, hopefully you guys had just as much fun listening to it. So. Yeah. And hope you had a Merry Christmas. A very Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Not happy, yeah. not happy holidays. <laughs> Merry not Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, that's right. Happy Merry New Christmas. Year. Happy New not Year. Not happy holidays. Yeah. That's coming. I yeah, guess our next right. episode will be right around New Year's. Yeah. The day yeah. after, I think. Is, wait, is this one going to be? This, this will be the day, be the day after, after Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Is this the last 2022 
episode? I think it might be. Which sounds like, like, oh, that's great. I mean, it's episode, what, seven? Seven. um, (laughs) Thanks for joining us on our long journey of 2022. Yes. Well, thank thank you very much for joining us. uh, Every every listener helps. And if you like the podcast, share it on social media. Send it to your friends. We would appreciate it. Yep. All right. So officially the... uh, this one, yeah, the end. this one, this is the last one of 2022. Should Perfect. we sing a Should we sing a farewell song? <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> no, but in the uh, in, in honor of all official dad joke, I will uh, see you guys next. Week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, thanks for listening. All right, have a good one.